Hey, this is Eddie Olchek. You're listening to Empty Betters with Nick, Mac, and Harrison. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 114 of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Harrison Scholes. I'm going to toss it across the screen to my co-host, Nick Manella. Cartoonish-sized beer. What's going on? Cartoonish beers are back, boys. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Ain't no dry January up in here. Nick is back in full effect with a little bush latte, I'm assuming. Yep. Sponsor me, please. <laughs> I'm literally, me and the Midwest are keeping bush light in business. <laughs> did you see the uh i know you saw it because it came up on my explore yeah. page on insta that the snowmobile yeah why would you comment on there and take away the chances of me winning a bush light snowmobile nick if i win a snowmobile you win a snowmobile. true we win a here. snowmobile exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> speaking of snowmobiles where they actually could work uh, i'm gonna toss it off to my other co-host up in wisco mac vogel what's going on buddy What's up, guys? Not a cartoon beer, just a normal one, but they all taste good to me. So normal uh, beers are still good beers. Just saying. That's true, they are. <laughs> I uh, guys, I think I'm gonna try this. The only exception is if Towson basketball actually makes the March Madness tournament, which is a real possibility right now. By the way, I think I'm going dry. Regular March. season champs. I, dry March. They are. I'm going right dry after March, you were like no dry January up in here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I'm gonna go dry March. Last week kind of put me over the fence in terms of hangovers, weight gain, and just lack of sobriety. So also, you literally went over the fence. So I did literally go over the fence. Yes, I did. Um, so yeah, I think I'm gonna go a little dry March action and just try to tone it down a little bit. You know, you got summer coming up, trying to trim up a little bit. I'm I'm getting a little get a little up there, so. Just need to dial things back a little bit. Fair enough. Best of luck to you. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, so before we get rolling here, uh, EB10, you guys already know, 10% off the merch on our merch store at emptybetters.com. Uh, all three of us are top 10 in the NHL leaderboards for Sharp Rank. Figure that's worth mentioning right now. And before I forget, our interview guest for today is former Washington Capital and Vancouver Canuck. Aaron Volpatti just wrapped up an interview with him about an hour long. And let me tell you, folks, this was probably one of, if not the best interview we've done on the history of this podcast. Amazing. Just his story, his journey, everything about it was amazing. Incredible stuff. I was looking forward to talking to him. I mean, I, I always look forward to all of our guests, but especially former Caps. It's always fun or any former NHL guy. But man, did he blow me away? That was some some awesome stuff that he had to talk about. So definitely don't miss it. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but a super inspirational story that kind of changed the trajectory of his uh, hockey career, and also just a really funny guy. I mean, he you know he talks about playing with Ov, the Sedins, Backstrom. So um, some great stories over there. Uh, talks about the differences between the Canucks and Capitals organization. So. Highly recommend you guys listen to the whole thing all the way through. That'll be in the middle of the episode. Uh, before we get rolling here, just kind of want to wrap up my nomad week from last week, as I'll call it. I think I went to four different states, two different countries. and Buddy, you were all over cities. the place. Holy fuck, man. I am tired and I don't want to get on a plane for a long time here. But uh, yeah, I missed last week's episode with Mark. Sad, sad, sad. So sad to miss that. Um, but listen to the episode on the flight home. Just want to 
let it be known, I will crush this Brackish Life ad read here in probably about five minutes. So uh, if you know, you know. Um, but yeah, man, just f- fucking flights in 2022 are just, it, it's like someone put like, uh, like Vivance and everyone's fucking Coke that they asked for in Southwest Airlines. Or where, like by the stupid juice is more like it. Oh my God. By yeah, the way, one. you know how with the, the COVID protocols now, instead of like, you know, pulling down your mask to say number one or two or three for the drink selection, you're supposed to use your finger. I don't think anybody's gotten that memo in all of America and people just get yelled at the whole time. It's yeah. hilarious. Um, I can't reiterate this enough. When the plane lands, you can't leave. It it has to go like connect and they have to make like the terminal connect to the plane and you got to set that whole shit and shaban up and you have to sit. So if you're in the back row of a plane, why do you stand up the second that the plane stops momentum on the concrete? I, I don't understand it. The runways rather like you can't go in front of people. And if you do go in front of people, you're an asshole. And then people start, you know, like um, the carry on case over the head, they, they click it, they undo it. And then they try reaching for their shit. And then the person in the other row can't get into the middle aisle. And then people in the middle seat and the window seat, like get their head hit. And it's just a fucking shit show. If everyone would just sit down and stay down until the people in front of you leave, the world would be a much better place. I the only say. time you should stand up when the plane lands is if you're in row one seat a or if you have a connecting flight that leaves in about five minutes. Yes, exactly. Seriously. God, or medical so emergency hard. or like you're giving birth or something, but you know, yeah, mainly the um, first two. So I, for those who like ask, like I, I have to go to uh, Mexico for work like a couple times a year. It's a not fun trip. You, you basically go down to San Antonio and if you want, you could catch one of the little hopper planes towards one of the border towns. Um, and then, you know, I get driven over the border. Uh, but what most of the time the company does is you just drive from San Antonio all the way down. Nick, I don't know if you saw, you would have been very jealous of the ride that I had on the way down. Nice little drop top five liter Mustang. Giddy up. Yeah. Got a little upgrade from enterprise. So that was a bunch of fun. It was like 93 down there. Um, while I was listening to the pot on my AirPods. So definitely a different little climate change, which was always much appreciated. And then came back Wednesday, was home Thursday, worked. And then my Christmas gift finally arrived on last Friday, where shout out to Layla, crushed it out of the park. Awesome gift. Probably the best Christmas gift I've ever gotten. Got us tickets to the um, Penn's Rangers game last Saturday. That was on ESPN. And God bless the girl. I was a psychopath and took it one step further. We were supposed to only go up Saturday morning, see the game at three, spend the night in the hotel, come home Sunday. I had to go call UPMC Lemieux Sportsplex and ask them if they had a practice open to the public on Friday, which they did. The practice was at 11. I conned her into leaving Baltimore at five in the morning to go catch a practice that she has no idea anything about. Penguins practice too. Yeah. Right. So she, she agreed. Um, God bless her soul. We spent, you know, the Friday in the same hotel too. So we get up at the crack acid dawn. 11 o'clock comes. I'm sitting there like a five-year-old. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Like, I've never been to a practice. I'm, I'm all hyped up. I waited until 1148 in the morning for them to step out on the ice. And for whoever was at the front desk that told me 11, you were lying to me. So I'm sitting there waiting. 
there's quite literally a birthday party going on behind me. So it's me, Layla, and then all these, like, not all these, probably like seven or eight kids. It looked like maybe like a field trip, maybe not a birthday party. I couldn't really tell what was going on there. Um, So I kind of felt a little out of place. And then, you know, obviously when they opened up the doors and you were allowed in, the crowd kind of came in and such. Um, Not that anyone cares, but my one observation from the practice is Brian Rust is a whole lot better in person and a whole lot faster in person than I thought he was. That was the one guy who really, really stuck out to me. Um, So, you know, it was pretty cool to see him. Obviously, I got to see sit up close, all that stuff. So our boy John Chiavo's friend, Teddy Bluger, working with uh, the skills coach after practice. That was nice. Next day, you know, we get into the arena. Pens win one nothing. Great, great game. Um, just a goaltending battle for probably one of the best of the season, I would say. A one nothing game where Igor and Jari just kind of keep robbing each other. Um, luckily, the Pens came out on top. Now, here's where the real story comes, and you guys are going to like this one. So... If you've ever been to PPG or formerly known as console, whatever, Pittsburgh's weird. It's like a highway goes through the city, right? Like the the arena is literally off of a two lane road that is like 50 miles an hour up until you get to the arena. And then it turns into like a 25 and that's when you get into the city. So the game ends. Pedestrians are all over the place, just walking nonstop. The crossing guards who are not cops, that's a key detail in this story, are not cops, are just letting people go and go and go and go and go. So if you've ever been, there's a Marriott across the street and there's like a intersection at where the Marriott is and where the arena is. Well, this Jeep Grand Cherokee has been waiting at the stoplight for like 20 fucking minutes. This stoplight must have turned green like three or four times and they couldn't go because there were pedestrians crossing, crossing guard lets the pedestrians go. Well, this chick had enough. So she leans out of her window and she's like, stop letting the fucking pedestrians go. We've been waiting here for 20 fucking minutes. And, uh, you know, like me and Layla are waiting for an Uber. So we're just standing still. The crossing guard just kind of dismisses it. And these like five giant redneck dudes, like straight up Ben Roethlisberger looking guys, like six, five, two fifty, big beards, just drunk off their ass walk by. They're like, where are you going anyway? It's fucking red. Like, cause she was yelling while it was a red light. Well, her boyfriend didn't like that very much. So he was in the passenger seat and just <clears throat> slams it. Walks up to these five guys. This guy could not, I mean, he was built like Kevin Durant. Like he couldn't have been more than like 120 pounds soaking wet. This kid goes up to these five dudes and starts chirping at him, chirping at him, chirping at him. He's following them while they're walking away from the traffic light. Light turns green, girl takes off. (laughs) Light turned green, girl can't take off because boyfriend isn't in car. So now the cars behind the girl are honking, honking, honking. He's trying to fight the guys. God bless him. They didn't kick his ass. So he gets back in the car. And when he gets back in the car, the light is red again. She missed the green light (laughs) because her boyfriend tried to beat somebody up. So this one guy, this one guy, again, like built like probably built more like Jerome Bettis at this point. Penguins fans, I'm guessing, right? Yes. Penguins fans, obviously. This guy's crossing the street, minding his own own business. Well, the girl kept losing her mind. Light turns green. Jerome Bettis-looking guy is walking across the street. She tries to move forward. He's right in front of her. She slams her brakes to not hit him. 
slams on her horn. Guy goes, fuck you. Middle finger. Boyfriend gets out of the car, loses his mind. Gets back out of the fucking car. Again. Oh my God. This is this all in the middle a of a death wish. This is all in the middle of a highway intersection, keep in mind. The kid throws a little right hook. Well, let me back up. He pushes him. They're like, you want to go? Yeah, I want to go. Blah, blah, blah. Kid throws a little right hook, connects. I was like, oh, shit. Here we got some. Everybody stops. I didn't see any phones come out. I've been trying to find video on the internet. I know that's scumbaggy of me, but whatever. Um, and then eventually this Jerome Bettis guy, I shit you not, like sumo plexes this kid right into the cement mounts on top of him and then just beats the living wheels off of him. His buddies try to like girlfriend still in the car the whole time. She's just screaming now. She's like, Oh my God. Keep in mind while the, while he got suplexed, the light turned green again. This is (laughs) lights turned green like six times. People behind are slamming, but they can't go by the Jeep because the doors, he left the door open. The doors are wide open on the Jeep. It was a nightmare. The crossing guard didn't even try to do anything. No cops, no nothing. They got up left. And on their merry way after the seventh green light hit. This, like, okay, so out of that story, do you know whose fault it is? Who? It's the girl's fault. It is the girl's fault. Yeah. Do you know why? Don't why? drive near the arena when you live in a city and you know that there's a sporting event letting out then. Yeah. Well, yeah. were they at the event? Like, were they wearing like penguin stuff or anything? Nope. These are they're just trying to get around town. I see. Okay. So they they were showing no pity. So I've talked for a while. People are probably sick of my voice and hearing about my stories, but I really felt compelled to share that one. And I looked at Layla, and she was just like, "What the fuck is wrong with people?" Uber eventually got us, and this old grandma lady looked at me, and she goes, "How do I get one of those Ubers?" I said, "Do you have the app?" She goes, "The what?" I said, "Don't worry about it." And then we left. Never mind. Sorry, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get with the times. But uh, yeah. all right, I'm I'm done with my travel stories. I just wanted to throw that one out there. That's ridiculous. Um, people now you get suck. to uh, now you get to keep talking though. Yeah. Oh Jesus! People are probably gonna our listener counts gonna dramatically drop after this. But uh, but uh, you, you know what? Know, uh, real quick before you hop into that, maybe if the chick inside the car had been wearing something that kept her cool, she wouldn't have lost her cool. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Well, speaking of keeping cool, have you heard of our friends at Brackish Life? They're a clothing brand that has a wide selection of outdoor gear, including UV shirts to keep you cool with hoodies and hats. It's Real Bay Apparel made by Real Bay people. Head to www.brackish.life today to check them out. A little salty, a little fresh, Brackish Life. Brackish Life has also teamed up with Rink to Reef Chesapeake Bay to preserve the area many of us call home. Rink to Reef repurposes broken hockey sticks into oyster restoration habitats. Brackish Life donates a portion of their proceeds to Rink to Reef to further preserve the beautiful Chesapeake Bay area. Support the great cause by checking out www.brackish.life today. Nailed it. Best one yet. I always do, Nick. Come on now. Uh, Mac, I'm going to toss it off to you for the question of the day. All right. We're getting close to March Madness. You already mentioned it earlier this episode. Most teams have like one, maybe two games left. Uh, Should be exciting. I'm excited for it. I want to know who do you guys think is going to win the big dance? And I don't want, you know, a bunch of background. Well, I think it's this team because yada, 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 yada. Gut feeling. Who's going to win it all? Baylor. For a second consecutive year? Yep. Wow. And Texas hook them. 
Texas. Yeah, dude. Best defense in the Big 12. Come on now. The Big 12 doesn't play defense, though. Well, the best defense. Right. Uh, This tournament is going to be absolutely nuts. Uh, I'm a huge college basketball fan, and I can tell you firsthand that I have absolutely no idea who's going to win this tournament. It is completely up in the air. Yeah. I mean, it always is, but like, especially so. Even more than usual. There's not like a runaway number one. Like, Mm -hmm. I think like the top three teams have all lost multiple games. So, see, I wanted to say, like, my gut tells me Gonzaga finally needs to like do this because they always are like supposed to and then they don't and they made it all the way last year and they lost by four or whatever it was. And like, I think maybe this is the year, but I, I something about Texas tech, I think actually could be a good value pick and I'll throw in one more super value pick. If you're into gambling and you want to take somebody to win the whole thing, Providence, that basketball yes. team is gnarly. I should They're know. Annoying. We have to play them a few times a year. They're in the Big East. That team is so frustrating, especially to play at Providence. They're like they're lights out at that arena. Um, I believe last time I checked, they're like plus eight thousand to win the whole thing or something like that. So it'd be pretty good bang for your bucks to toss a little bit of chump change on that, see if it works out, but. That's my question of the day. I just wanted to know what you guys thought. I have watched one basketball game all year, college basketball. Not a huge college basketball fan. I'm trying to get more into it, but I struggle to carve the time. I think it was Texas versus uh, – it was a ranked team right above them. I can't remember. It was like an 8 p.m. Saturday night game in Austin. It was on ESPN. Um, they pulled off the upset. But isn't Austin – I'm sorry, isn't Texas like uh, – what are they going to be, like a – three seed four seed five seed who knows dude i mean until we see that selection you just never know um there's so many teams that uh, you know could make it in um towson our tigers could make it in Um, towson makes it in we're doing something i don't know what but that would be electric that would be definitely electric they just won the caa title so congrats to them yep Um, got the caa tournament coming up starting i think their first game is sunday yeah, according to my college basketball expert, Mr. Uh, my good friend Garrett Samansky, you should go follow him on Sharp Rink um, for college basketball picks. He's pretty decent. Uh, he's saying that they have to basically win the CAA tournament to, to place in the tournament. Yes, they do. So they got the they got the regular season title. Now we got to go get the tournament. Um, Mac, what's Marquette up to? Like, what's what's the vibe? They're good. They've had a great year with the new coach, Shaka Smart, um, who came from Texas, actually. But he he has really turned this team into like a defensive powerhouse. And all the while, we are draining threes, scoring points, hitting buckets. Uh, I think we will do better than we have done in this tournament in quite a long time. But I don't think we're winning at all. It's been kind of an up and down last couple of weeks to the season. I think we may have gotten too hot too early on. I think we won like eight in a row in the middle of the season or something like that. And we've kind of cooled off. So it's so uh, hard, like the big East and it's like the big 10, those two, yeah. it's just anyone beats anyone on any given night. We did just have a nice win over Butler on national Marquette day over the weekend. So that was cool. But now we close out the season playing DePaul and St. John's two teams that we should absolutely destroy. And something tells me we're probably going to lose that game to DePaul just for no reason. So. 
So I'm looking here just to do a little research on Texas. They're 21st in the nation right now. They just played Baylor last night. The game was in Austin. I guess Baylor was two-point favorites, and they beat the Longhorns by seven. So I don't know. We'll see. They're 21-9. and nine. I just always root for Texas. I don't know why. I love, love the city of Austin. Always had a soft spot for it, so I root for the Longhorns. I've Very cool. chosen them as my – I didn't go to a basketball school, so I got to do something, right? Right. Fair enough. Um, all righty. Well, Nick, I'm going to toss it off to you for the very jam-packed league news. Yeah. Um, speaking of college basketball, um, Sparty and then some school no one cares about are actually just about to tip off. So um, should be interesting. Let's see how that one goes. Uh, speaking of interesting, we got a lot to talk about, and I think there's no really good way to beat around the bush here. We got to start, start with the most prevalent subject probably on everyone's mind right now and that unfortunately is the hockey news regarding the russia ukraine conflict so not going to get political on here trust us no person on this podcast has any you know validity behind making any sort of political statement whatsoever but we just want to talk about how it's affected the hockey news so let's start with the international fallout so first and foremost uh, the nhl has suspended all business partners and social media sites within Russia. That basically means any sort of business, you know, that they were partnered with, or uh, more importantly, I think um, the NHL.com, you know, the Russian language version, I think social media sites as well have all been put on hold. Uh, CCM, would you say the biggest hockey company out there right now, if not one of the two, them and Bauer, I would say? Yeah. Uh, have stated that they are not going to use any Russian players in their advertising going forward. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets announced that they will play the Ukrainian national anthem ahead of their game against the Habs tonight. That is already underway, I believe, or just about to get underway. Uh, the IIHF has banned Russia and Belarus from all tournaments until further notice. They are currently in the process of removing the 2023 World Juniors from Russia and trying to put them somewhere else. Uh, this is a big one. Hockey Canada has banned Russia and Belarus indefinitely. And the big impact here, the real losers are, you know, kids aged like 15 through 19 that would be playing in like these big, you know, tournaments. You have the, the Russian tournament where they come over and play against the kids from the CHL. And then you have like Halinka Gretzky and stuff like that. Uh, hockey, you know, just these are big tournaments that these prospects need in order to, you know, to move up the ladder and gain exposure and stuff like that. Uh, the KHL lost two teams because of this conflict. Uh, Dinamo Riga announced uh, Sunday that they've withdrawn from the league uh, following the invasion. Uh, the club is located in Riga, Latvia. Uh, they're the second team to league, leave the league after Jokerit, a Finnish based team pulled out as well. Uh, these are two pretty big programs. Uh, Dinamo Riga is like the premier team in the Latvian area. And then Joker, it, it's like them. And there's one other Finnish team whose name I cannot pronounce, but it's like they're responsible for every good Finnish hockey player to come to the United States. Pretty much. literally tons of Joker guys have been in and out of the league over the years. Yeah. Uh, Yari Curry, Kari Lettinen, Sean Bergenheim, a guy that loved to torment the caps. Uh, and then let's talk about some of the responses from athletes. So this comes to us from David Pagnotta, and this is just not anything great that you want to hear, but apparently some NHL teams have basically doubled their security measures as their Russian players have received death threats in person and on social media. 
Um, Ovi has since come out and made a statement about it. Obviously, the internet has been lit on fire after that. Uh, I want to go to you guys quickly just to hear your thoughts before we move on. Harry, let's start with you. Oof, I didn't think you were going to start with me. So now I'm thrown off guard. I thought for sure Mac was getting the lead there. Um, oof. Yeah. Listen, I've I've thought about this a lot. I, I, I've had a lot of emotions kind of come over me in the last 24 hours about this because it is kind of wild. Um, I guess to kind of sum it all up and not get too fiery on here is, you know, if you want to like criticize, condemn, hold accountable, whatever term you want to use, you want to hold people accountable for what they have previously done or supported or whatever, you have every right to do that. Good for you. So don't get this statement, you know, confused. But what I would say is a lot of people who are saying things that I think are um, justified, but maybe out of place would probably do the exact same thing that Ovechkin just did if they were in his shoes. That's all I really want to say. Um, you want to hold him accountable. You want to say things about him. Fine. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. And I guess you have the right to do that. But if you're in his shoes, I would strongly suggest that you try to be in his spot with his family in Russia, his bank accounts in Russia, his real estate in Russia, his, I don't know if his parents are in Russia or what, but everything he has is in Russia. So you try being in his shoes and, you know, tiptoeing the line. That's all I got to say. Yeah, well said. I'm basically going to echo that. I have a few other points I want to make. I think that, you know, we've all seen our Twitter timelines turn into fires over the last couple of days or weeks at this point um, with this issue of, you know, what is Ovechkin going to say and what are all these other Russian athletes going to say, but specifically Ovechkin, right? Because he's had a history of supporting Putin and not just supporting him, but, um, fundraising for him and being friends with the guy, et cetera. And I'm not here to really like discuss what I think about that in general or, or any of that. But what I am here to do is just say that like Harrison said, obviously this guy has to think about his family first and you know, what could possibly happen to them if he were to say something bad about Russia or Putin uh, which, by the way, I know a lot of people, too, are saying stuff like, oh, well, he could at least change his profile picture, which is literally a picture of him and Putin, for the record. Uh, but I've also seen people say changing your profile picture of yourself and Putin would be just as j basically the same thing as denouncing Putin. And that could be enough to set the guy off and have him do whatever he wants to do in response to that. So who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm not from Russia, right? Like, I don't know how, how serious this is of like, what is this guy going to do if I say something bad about him or like, where is the line? You know, can I change my profile picture, but not say anything about him? Or can I say something about him and he's not going to get offended? Like, I do not know where that line is. Maybe Ovi does. Maybe he doesn't. All I know is that he's a hockey player and he's got a lot bigger things on his mind right now. Well, not bigger things, but you know, things that he is actually in charge of and in control of. Here's the other thing is if Ovechkin were to say something like, Oh, I denounce the war and I don't agree with what Putin's doing, yada, yada, yada. 
nothing would change. That's not changing what Putin is going to do or what he wants to do. Sure, maybe it would change the minds of some Russian people that are fans of Ovechkin, but it's not going to change what Putin is doing, and that's the problem. So to me, I think it's a bit ridiculous seeing what everybody's asked of Ovi and the pressure that's been put on him. He's an athlete at the end of the day. Sure, he's supported Putin over the years. It's not necessarily a good thing, but at the end of the day, he's here to he's here to play hockey, and I think it should I think he should be left to do that in peace. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I you know, following up on what you said, I think some of the way that media outlets, certain specific media outlets, have portrayed him or have uh, worded his statements is just been downright embarrassing. Um, I think every single one of those people involved has a has a right to to be ashamed of themselves. I think you know trying to gain traction or clout based on a situation like this is just one of the worst things you can do as a human being. So um, yeah, it's just it sucks. And uh, another big pet peeve of mine is when people turn to athletes and celebrities and ask for statements on this stuff. And Mac, you make a great point. It's like, even if he did change his profile picture, like it's not going to do anything. It's just going to make people feel better about it. Right. And it doesn't make him feel better about it because like Mac said, he, he doesn't, maybe, maybe he doesn't know what that's going to do. Right. right. It, could, it could light a fire under Putin's ass and, all of a sudden he loses it. I mean, you, you just don't know. And I, Mac, or nothing I, could happen, but why risk it? Mac, well, the I, other thing too, is like, I, people are forgetting that Ovi grew up in Russia where this stream of like misinformation and disinformation is the norm too. So like, sure. He supported Putin, I guess, for most of his adult life, but that's after having grown up in Russia and then becoming the most famous Russian athlete with all this attention. So like, of course, Putin is going to be like drawn to you and he's going to want to talk to you because you're representing his country. But like there, there's so much that you have to think about. It's not as simple as like, Ovi's just some guy and he's actually really into politics. And he decided that he likes Putin's policies and that he supports what he's doing. Like it's never been about that. Who named the two most famous or well-known Russian people on the planet right now? It's Ovi and Putin. It's it's those two. Yeah. And Mac, I echo what you said earlier, 10,000%, percent That's not a number. Um, Ovi has the right to stay quiet. I mean, just because something happens in Russia doesn't mean that reporters should just like, I kind of hate that, right? What is the guy supposed to say? What do you what, what are you looking for him to say? I mean, he's not a politician. He doesn't have a say in what goes on or what doesn't. You think Ovechkin agrees with in, invading innocent people? I would probably say the answer is no. <laughs> it's so, similar like, like when you get celebrities, like, and I'm singling out actors and actresses here when they like chime in on this stuff. I'm like, you are the most out of touch people with the real world. That's why you shouldn't be talking about this. I do think uh, switching off the Ovechkin subject, just in general, I mean, you got teenage Russian kids who are now paying a price for the actions of their leader that they don't even know what's going on. I mean, I'm not even joking when I say that. I guess the idea is like 
they think maybe this will make Putin be like, okay, well, if you're going to do all this and this and that, then I'll stop. But I, I, don't I really don't happen. think that's going to stop this guy. I really, no, no. I mean, it, it, it's sad. I agree. It's a, it's a bummer that a lot of people who are not in control of this situation are paying a price for it. Obviously our thoughts go out to the people in Ukraine and, you know, None of us want to see what's happening. It's it's pretty clear. None of us want to see that happen. Uh, so, and I, I really like, like Harrison said, I'm pretty sure Ovi and all the other Russian players uh, would say the same thing if they could. So, Absolutely. I do think it's worth mentioning, and I sent this to you guys in the Instagram group. So CCM pulls this stunt where they're not going to market um, any Russian players and Ovi comes out with a all blacked out custom Russian themed stick, which looks sick, by the way. And I can't wait to see it in game action. It looks awesome. And to be honest, I mean, you know, you can say what you want, but I, I kind of I'm standing in Ovi's corner in this particular scenario. Like, you know, I, what is he supposed to do? I mean, you want to pull the sponsors? Fine. Then he's, he's going to just rock a sick ass custom stick that breaks the internet and every hockey kid wants it. I mean, it's just what it is. So dude doesn't need sponsors. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough situation. I, and I hope that this whole segment didn't really like piss anybody off. It's, it's also nobody... like this, these topics, like this discussion is like detracting away from the point too. It's exactly. like, that, that's not why like, you know, people are talking about this and why we're glued to the TV every night. We're not here because we're sitting on pins and needles about what Alex Ovechkin thinks about, you know, Russian and Ukrainian foreign policy. Well, and it sucks too, because you scroll Twitter all day, you're seeing all this horrible stuff about what's happening in Ukraine and it makes your, makes your head hurt just thinking about all of it. And then you want to watch a hockey game and just kind of blow off some steam, get your mind off things, but you can't because it's all about the same thing. So. No, right. I mean, there were some tweets and, you know, the little stupid, you know, clickbaity headlines that people use that just made me absolutely sick to my stomach. So and uh, for those who forgot, um, Artemi Panarin kind of went through an incident where he was outspoken against Putin. And if you forgot last season, he had to miss a month. He missed the entire month of February of the regular season because he had to go overseas to take care of business. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I don't know what that means, but. There was definitely some shit going on, so I don't know. I mean, just don't forget that, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. All righty, let's move on. We had some big performances offensively uh, over the weekend. We witnessed the highest scoring game of the 21st century on Saturday when the Maple Leafs defeated the Red Wings 10-7. to Marner had four goals. Fun fact, this is the highest scoring game of all time per Twin Spires. Uh, what? Anyways, Edmonton beat Chicago 12 to nine on December 11th, 1985 with Wayne Gretzky. Basically it's like, you know, if there was going to be like a a game that was going to set a goal scoring record, it was going to be the eighties Oilers anyway. So I'm so pissed this, this game over the weekend, I got host. I had the 17 and over 17 and a half and (laughs) one more goal, one more fucking goal. And they couldn't do it. 10 to seven. Really? The website's called Twin Spires. I don't know what threw you for a. It's uh, like Twin Spires Edge. I don't know why my brain, after working Twin- today, decided to reboot itself, but. TwinSpiresEdge.com. I was citing my source. That's what journalism is. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I took anyways, journalism 099. Did you? Yeah. Nice. Not even 100 level. Yeah. Mac is laughing at both of us right now. Okay. Uh, the Hawks knocked the off the 4,000. Right. <laughs> 
The Hawks knocked off the Devils eight to five on Friday. Both uh, Hagel the Bagel and Patty Kane had hatties. Uh, just, you know, it looks like the old school Hawks, you know, just go in there, shit pump a team eight to five. But, uh, you know, it's starting to make sense. I know we were shitting on them for wanting a first in return for Hagel, but hey, if the guy's putting up points like that, it kind of makes sense. Uh, don't know if you guys saw this video or not, but a USPHL player received a lifetime ban last week. 20-year-old Paul Halloran of the South Shore Kings was banned for life after sucker punching an official. Uh, if you haven't seen the video, yeah. you won't have to go very far to find it. Uh, the way I just read it is exactly the way it happened. Yeah, that was insane. I did see that clip. I just can't imagine like what bring somebody to do something like that i mean i say that and granted sometimes i'm in a beer league game and i don't like a a call that a ref makes and like sure i've cursed at a ref before and like honestly i'm not even proud to say that because you think about it afterwards and you're like this is just a dude who volunteered his time he's doing his best here and we can't even play the game if he's not here and i just you know yelled expletives at him but Seriously, like to punch the dude in the face is brutal, and he, and, I think he deserves the ban. Like, and get him out of sucker here. punch him too. Like, if you're gonna punch oh, him yeah. in the face, like at least square up with. Oh him. no, he totally like clocked him out of nowhere. It was bad. Yeah. So, I mean, to get an in pretty much almost instant lifetime ban too. Like, you knew you had to fuck up pretty bad. So. Uh, never like to see that, uh, going over to some good news. Pekka Rene had his Jersey number retired by the Preds. Uh, his number 35 became the first Jersey ever retired by the Preds franchise. Uh, just to recap, he won the Vesna in 18, uh, 369 nice wins in his career. Most games played victories and shutouts by the Finnish goalie in NHL history. Very cool stat. Hats off to him. Great. Speaking career. of speaking of the Preds, before we get to the discussion part of the episode, did anyone here watch the stadium series or no? I did not. I didn't watch so the I did segment. not. I'm glad you put that in there. And what I texted you guys in our group chat was, did anyone even know that that was a thing this weekend? Because I didn't. No, I 100% didn't. And I did not watch the game and I have not watched the highlights and I don't care to watch the highlights, which is probably not a good thing. And honestly, I saw stuff on Twitter about how like, it was a the NHL is having a huge marketing problem because a a lot of people didn't know about it. B a lot of the people that did know about it and are hockey fans actively did not care enough to watch it. And I think a lot of people chimed in on that discussion and were saying a big part of it was that like okay sure Nashville is like a pretty marketable team right now and they're going to be in it and it's going to be in Nashville and this is going to be cool. Two but time defending that- cup champs. But the, I think that is a lot of people were saying this, and I, I tend to agree. A lot of people said that that is where the issue was, was the opponent was Tampa Bay, who, yes, they're the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs. But if you haven't noticed, they're really not that marketable. Like People don't really give that much of a shit about the Bolts. And specifically in Nashville, that's not a, that's not a rivalry in any it's way. Tampa and Nashville, like those teams have little to no history against each other. It was a weird throwaway game, in my opinion. So there, there's That's a, a guy great named, way to describe it. There's a guy named Jace Greenberg, uh, Jay Greenberg 11 on Twitter. He had a phenomenal thread that I retweeted from the EB account about the problems that are happening with that game. Unfortunately, I think he deleted the thread, which is a shame because it was really good. But the main NHL the tweet- probably DM'd him. And we're like, we'll give you $15,000 to take this down right now. <laughs> That's where the fucking marketing budget went, apparently. 
But his initial tweet, and I'll read it here, is how the NHL knows they have a marketing problem. One, most people had zero clue about the outdoor game last night. Two, on the contrary, I knew about it and actively didn't care enough to watch. When diehards have stopped watching, you have a major problem. We host a fucking hockey podcast where we discuss last week's topics and none of us watched it. It's ridiculous. Like there was nothing, there was no buildup for it. You, you want to know what another problem is? Like, which I, I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet because this might be the biggest problem now that I'm thinking about it. They do too many of these fucking things. They do too many of these things. They go back to New Year's Day and that's it. They did it once a year, Winter Classic, New Year's Day, once a year, you're in, you're out. Everybody loves it. Everybody's super excited to find out who's it going to be, who's going to host it this year. And they realized the money bags came into the NHL eyes and they're like, oh my God, more outdoor games. Which like, okay, (laughs) sure, yeah, more, but not like four of them a year or whatever we're at at this point. Like, they need to they need to dial it back and like focus on one maybe two every year. I liked when they did the Winter Classic and the Heritage Classic, like a Canadian yes. one and a U.S. one, and you're done. No more I, stadium series. It's done. It's I yep. fuck the stadium series. It's I don't stupid. think I've watched one stadium series game that hasn't involved the Penguins. It's, it's kind of just like dumb, overplayed. Is there a word that we could use to describe this? I. It just seems like it's kind of gimmicky. Yes. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I was gonna see if Harrison could get it, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. What was I going to say? Yeah, there is a – what's the classic coming up where the Maple Leafs are wearing the jersey with the T on it? Heritage, I guess, yeah. Is that Who are they even playing? I don't even know. Couldn't tell you. Again, oh, the Sabres. They're playing the Sabres, I think, which is not even a Canadian versus Canadian thing. Also, another throwaway game, the Leafs versus the Sabres. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, it, it – it's getting bad. They need to correct it. But uh, I understand like why they jumped on it. Like they saw it as an opportunity to grow the game for like not as diehard fans. It's like, oh, they're doing a hockey game outdoors. Like I'll I'll watch that. And I or think some guy who has season tickets at Heinz Field or whatever, and he's like, right. oh, cool, I'll go. Look like, what I get sure. to go to for free now. But it's like I think it died when they tried to do the outdoor one at Lake Tahoe, and the ice was shit, and they had to stop halfway through and let it, you know postpone it for three hours and then you know you were doing the ones at like you know the Padres stadium with like the kings and the ducks and i'm like oh these jerseys are terrible it's 75 and sunny you've i've got chrome domes on just yeah that one actually i think might have been the beginning of the end that one just like it's dustier than behind my fridge it's just (laughs) it's just brutal i'll disagree with the tahoe one i think that was actually pretty cool I mean, um, it was, but it was a shit show. Right. It was like, a shit it, show. The execution was poor, but I thought the venue set up and the buildup was cool. But yeah, the, the Ducks King one, you, Nick, yeah, I, dusty behind the fridge. They just need to keep it simple. Like, you know, I feel like they were like, we should do a game at like Lake Louise. That would be sick. Lake Louise is amazing. But it's like, at the end of the day, just play the fucking hockey game. Like, I'd rather watch they, that. Like, again, when it was just the Winter Classic, they did the 24-7 HBO series. There right. was all this hype around it. It was like, hey, everybody, we're doing an NHL outdoor game, and this is our big fucking thing this year that you should pay attention to. And now it's like, you know, three times a year, and it's stupid. So 24-7 Penguins Capitals is like 
I would say that's up there with any 30 for 30 I've ever seen. I have that. I have that whole set on DVD if you ever want to come over and watch it. I do. I do. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that's going to happen. Yeah, me too. I um, The last thing I'll say about the stupid ass stadium series is just NHL be better. Like your marketing, like I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars you spend on your marketing employees, probably millions. It actually is millions, but it's like, really? And no one knew that there was an outdoor game. Like there wasn't one commercial. There wasn't one banner ad, like nothing. I'll leave it. I'll leave it with this. My lovely aunt Vicky, whom I love so dearly and is a wonderful listener of the show. Diehard Bolts fan. Yes. Right after we finished the interview about an hour ago, I went to take a piss. She texted me. She goes, did you make money on the game Saturday? I said, what game? She goes, the Bolts game. I was like, oh, shit. Didn't even know. There you go. That's when you, that's when you know. Yeah, that's when, when you know. When we don't know, it's bad. Exactly. Let's get to some discussions here real quick. Uh, Igor Shiesty, Mr. Shesterkin, has the highest save percentage in 50 years, a 9-4-0 with a minimum of 25 games played this season. That's tied behind some guy named Jock Plot. Ever heard Wait of him? Minute, though. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, I mistyped. It's 944, not 994. Well, okay, no, I saw that and I knew that must be a typo, but I'm still saying hold on because 940, I feel like that is a stat that we only see if we're talking about like, oh, this is his save percentage like at home this year, or like this is his save percentage like on the power play. He's like really good or something. It's like games he came in relief of or something. Right, or something like that. But like, no, that's straight up just his save percentage. Like this season, period. On all the games he's played this year. He is without a doubt, and I'm sorry, like Leafs fans, it's not Matthews, front runner for MVP. I'm sorry, it has to be Shesterkin. Yeah, especially if the Rangers find a way to like win that division, which they might. I I do think if you made me bet money right now, who's going to win it? The Hart Trophy, that is. Forget the Vesna, we're talking league MVP. I do think Igor is probably in the lead and Matthews is a close second. I do think it's close. Some people are saying it is, and I think it is. It's but close. I just, I think he's the clear cut favorite. I think Huberto is getting a little slept on too. I think he deserves a little more respect. That too. And it's just, yeah, I think true. that's a lot down to the market too. You know, there's so well, many great guys on that Panthers team that have just gone under the radar for so long. Yeah. Igor is cracked right now and after seeing him in person this past weekend he's just he's nuts dude it's 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 ridiculous what he's doing this year yeah rangers fans are blessed yeah remember Uh, that time when we got him on the podcast wink wink (laughs) (laughs) the igor really did land though it did that was awesome having him on yeah it was so cool (laughs) anyways (laughs) per the bruins benders podcast the bruins have made 21 draft picks in the last four drafts of those 21 players combined, who would like to venture a guess as to how many games they have played in the NHL? Mac, let's go to you. Goose egg, baby. Yeah, big old zippy. Absolutely none. And this goes back a long way. Uh, a, a name that will come to mind is Jakob Zaboral, who I think they drafted like third overall and just never panned out. So I don't know what's going on with this team. Uh, 21 draft picks in the last four is quite high. That's basically going to be like what Arizona is going to do in the first three rounds this go around. So, um, yeah, it's, 
It's a weird thing, right? Like I saw this on Twitter. I was like, there's no way this is accurate. And then I fact checked it myself. I was like, holy shit, their last 21 draft picks, they haven't played in one NHL. I game. thought the same thing. I was like, they must have made a typo, like no NHL playoff games or something like that. But like, no, straight up none. The Bruins are a weird team this year, man. And we'll now, get into that a little later. Part of this stat, it's like, okay, the last four drafts, guys that were drafted two years ago might not be ready for the NHL. They could still sure, be sure. like 18, you know, or they could be 20 by this point. But still, you know, it's it's also a team that really hasn't need to, to like change its lineup over the last four years too. But, and that's fair. That's fair. I was just thinking like, who's also a result of lower draft picks too. No, I I hear you. I mean, I I was just thinking to myself, who's the last Pens guy who was drafted that, you know, cracked the lineup in the, you know, the past 21 drafts, but we haven't had 21 picks in the last four years. We've probably had like fucking, you know, five. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. Caps have had a lot of, draft guys end up suiting up just because of injuries and random yeah. shit like that too but yeah start of the year was a good time for you guys not so much these days but uh yeah we'll for sure let's run through the <laughs> stop let's run through the three stars of the week harry i'm gonna throw that to you yeah first uh first star of the week austin matthews no shock here four goals five assists and four games played second star of the week jt miller of the canucks uh for now two goals six assists eight points in three games played. And then the third star of the week, Steven Stamkos, two goals, one assist, three points in two games played. I have no idea how you make third star of the week with only three points in two <sighs> games. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Hey, don't hate on Stamkos. Stamkos is a good guy. He's still like boring Stamper. to me. I don't know. He, he's a boring guy. He, he's, you know, he's kind of like got – he's forgotten. He won his cups. Like, can he retire now or what? Speaking of Stammer. I've been after this jersey for a long, long time, and I've got an inside hook on one of his ones from when he played in Sarnia. In oh, the one of the jerseys. Yeah. What team was that? Like Sarnia? The Sting. Sting. Or, oh, Sting. Okay. So it's got like the giant B on the front. It looks so cool. That's awesome. Isn't yeah. that where Yakupov and Galchenyuk played? Yep. Okay. I thought so. I only remember that because I played NHL t- 2011 like to death. Exactly. Um, Let's see here. Nick, I'm going to toss it off to you for this day in hockey history, March 1st. Yep. So uh, the wind blew off the roof of the Philly Spectrum this day in hockey history in 1968, uh, forcing the building to close for a month. Uh, Unfortunately for us, the Flyers were able to return to it. Uh, During that process, they had to move their games to guess where? Madison Square Garden. Imagine if that happened today. Oh my God. That's Ranger, Rangers That's fans insane. would just like buy all the tickets and show up just to boo the Flyers. Just to heck the shit out of them. It's like, it's like a Flyers Ducks game and they just show up to boo both teams or something like that. That sounds about right. Uh, more importantly, though, uh, on this day in hockey history in 1993, the Anaheim, California based expansion team announced that their name was going to be the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Oh, wow. wow. That's interesting. The Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, not the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Correct. No, because they they love doing that out there for whatever reason. The Angels are the same way. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim the baseball team. You can't be the 
Hold team on, of two wait cities. A, like, wait a you can't wait do a that. That's a real yep. thing. The Los yeah. Angeles Angels actually, of if Anaheim? I'm not mistaken, they might have like changed that like two years ago or something like that. But either way, it was like that. It, it was for, a like, thing forever. But for yeah, okay. Because Mighty Ducks of Anaheim is weird, but it's one city. The Los right. Angeles Angels of Anaheim is that was two- the official team name for at least like ten years, maybe more. Who thinks that's a good idea? I don't understand. It's just out out west there, they get some weird ideas. I'm telling you, I lived <laughs> yeah. there for one year, and there there's something going on in the air. They're different. There. there is something the going on in the air the out there, or yeah. maybe it is the smog. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it looks like the smog. Who knows? Anyways, uh, <laughs> with that being said. Uh, let's go ahead and toss it off to Aaron Volpatti. But before we do, we just want to remind everyone that summer may be over, but there's still never been a better time to get out on the water. Are you looking to finance that new boat or yacht you've always dreamed of? Well, you're in luck, Chuck, because the Yacht Lender is a specialist in marine finance. With partnerships with 15, count them, 15, one, five different banks, he is the right lender for whatever vessel you may be in the market for. Backed by the power of Trident funding with over 25 years as an industry leader, the yacht lender has the expertise and know-how to finance the boat of your <laughs> dreams. Don't wait. Apply today at www.yachtlender.com or check him out on Instagram at yachtlender to see others who have gotten already gotten out on the water. Let's go ahead and toss it off to Aaron Volpatti right now. All right, and it is now my pleasure to welcome on to the Empty Betters podcast, Mr. Aaron Volpatti. How's it going, man? Thanks for being with us. Yeah, I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Definitely, yeah. So uh, we like to start out with all of our guests asking pretty simple question. How did you first get into hockey and kind of what are your first and early hockey memories? Yeah, I think pretty much like every other uh, Canadian kid just was exposed to it at a young age, maybe like three years old and got into my first first pair of skates. And I mean, probably my first memories was my dad's attempt at a, a homemade rink. He was He was a machinist. And I mean, we didn't we, we weren't low class, but we didn't have a ton of money. And he constructed these like boards out of like sharp tin. And it was this tiny little pond. And yeah, I just remember just being out there and hanging out there all the time and screaming at him to throw me the ball while he's shoveling off the snow, you know, all those cool memories like that. So yeah, man, I just, I, I played from a young age, like a lot of kids in up here. So yeah. Who was your team growing up and uh, what players did you, you know, idolize and then try and model your game after? Yeah, it was always Vancouver, uh, which was cool. I mean, I ended up there out of all the teams, right. As a free agent out of college, but yeah, Vancouver was all, all my team. Like I was nine years old when they went on that run in 94. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, man, like the Burray was probably my favorite. Um, Pavel Burray, Trevor Linden, Kirk McLean, all those guys. And we actually got to go play in the intermission in the Canucks game twice, and which is unheard of. I don't know if that's ever happened, but yeah, I don't know if it's like a lottery system, but we went there twice. I must have been whatever, six, seven, eight years old and just being in awe and going into the dressing room. They played in the old Pacific Coliseum then. And uh, yeah, it was a cool experience. And it's just it's just so crazy how it worked out for me to 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 end up, you know, on that team, however many years later, you know, 20 years later, but. Sure. What was your, uh, your youth hockey scene like growing up there? You know, for us being in, you know, Baltimore DC area, I'm sure it was a little bit different than yours. Yeah. It's, it, it's even different here now. Like 
you know, the academies are a huge thing here, similar to maybe like a prep school type thing for, for you guys, I guess. But, the, and the thing that I tell everyone is like, I really wasn't that good. I mean, I, I really wasn't, like, I was good enough to kind of sneak into to the each rank. And, uh, but like, I played house hockey at 14 years old. Um, I don't know if you guys have house hockey there, but it's basically yep. the lowest, the lowest level. Right. And part of that was because, you know, I grew up in Revelstoke is a small town and, uh, there wasn't a ton of kids that played hockey just because it's a ski town and um, just population wise, we didn't have a lot of numbers. So yeah, I mean, like I, I played house hockey then and got cut from all the select teams and the summer hockey teams. And yeah, I met like, I just had fun, man. Like that's what it was about for me and how it should be right as a young kid. And absolutely. Uh, and then, yeah, I played for my hometown junior B team there as a 16, 17 year old and just kind of snuck up to the ranks and into Vernon, uh, which we could segue into whenever. But yeah, like I just I basically fought my way into that league and had to fight to stay there. Right. So, again, I wasn't like a, I wasn't a great player. I didn't even think about playing pro hockey or anything like that. Before we segue into Vernon, I have you ever heard of a player who played an NHL game and played house at 14, I think you said, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the only other story I could think of is I know, I know like a few guys have, they only took up hockey like really late, like 12 or 13. I know there's a few stories like that. I think Jovanoski was Jovanoski. Yeah. yeah. He started hockey at like 13. And so, I mean, that might be similar. I mean, I'm no Ed Jovanoski, but uh <laughs> Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question, man. And that's like, for me, again, like I tell like all the people I work with, I'm, I'm like, listen, if I can make it, you know, to the NHL with, with that, let alone like what I went through with the, my burn injury and all that other stuff, uh, you know, you never know. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But Well, let's segue it. Like you uh, just said into your, into your Vernon career, you want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, what do you guys want to know? It was, it was a great time, man. Like we were, we were number one in Canada for my first couple of years. Like we had an awesome team. Um, yeah. I mean, I barely made the team as, as a fighter. I scored one goal, I think in game 55 that first year. And uh, so again, you want to talk about like a guy that's not really, wasn't, wasn't supposed to make it. Um, I was just a fighter. I could, I, I should rephrase that. I was, a, I could hit and I could skate. Um, that was my thing. And then through that came fighting. Right. And, the game was a lot different, you know, 20 years ago, or I mean, even, even 10 years ago, or even, you know, obviously a longer period than that, but like, it was chaos when, when we played junior hockey, that was when there was still five plus fights a game and intimidation was a big factor. Right. So there there was more of a need for that than there is now in, in junior hockey, at least here. But, uh, but yeah, and then I kind of evolved a little bit my second year to like third line, did some penalty killing, things like that. But again, like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a scorer by any means, right? And um, but for me, I just tried to add layers to my game every every level I went up. Um, but you know, when I started as as a rookie in every level, it was kind of like, all right, let's let's get the gloves off here and then make sure I stay on the team first. <laughs> Yeah, well, 279 PIMs in 137 games uh, definitely seems like that checks the box for what you were trying to do there. That's uh, that's quite a, quite a few penalty minutes. But um, I yeah. want to talk about how you 
kind of segued into your college career at Brown University. If you want to talk about what went into that decision and how that whole process worked out for you. Yeah, that was, uh, that whole thing was, was really a big part of like this book I'm writing and what I do now, really. I was, uh, so I was in the hospital in Vancouver. I just burnt myself really badly in this accident. Um, I mean, I don't know how much time you guys got, but I did like- Go for it. We got all the time. Go Go for for it. it. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, because it really does parlay into the whole why Brown and and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, we were were doing our week-long bender that we did after we lose the season. We'd go party for a week with the team, right? And and do stupid shit and and have a good time and a send-off for summer, right? And uh, we got upset in the finals that year. Like I said, we were a pretty good team. We were supposed to, you know, pretty much win the whole thing. and, And we got upset in the finals and then whatever. And we went, uh, we did this banner. We went camping on our, on our second night and I was just messing around with, with gas and, and I was actually like filling up beer bottles full of gas and wine bottles. And I was basically like making bombs and like, I was a bit of a daredevil. No, I shouldn't say that I was a daredevil and I was a pyro and I was just, I did stupid shit. I thought I was invincible like any other 19 year old kid or maybe not any other, but you know, a lot of, 19 year old uh young men and yeah i was just doing stupid shit and i was walking around with two two wine bottles full of gas in my my sweater pocket and i was waiting to like set them in the fire and and let them explode right they would like it would kind of bubble out or burr the, the flames would kind of burrow out and then it would be like a explosion and it would shoot you know 50 feet in the air kind of thing and uh but anyways these bottoms hit i had all of a sudden I'm like, I'm soaking wet. I got gas all over myself. And uh, yeah, like five minutes went by maybe. And I'm like, I just, I just reeked like gas. I had a liter and a half of gas spilled on myself. And I went to like throw my sweater in the fire of what I thought was a safe distance. And just, I just basically blew just up. Right. Caught and like caught you kind of thing. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I was drinking and I wasn't thinking straight, obviously. And um but yeah, I thought I kept with a safe distance from the fire, but, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, those, those fumes, they're, they're dense and they settle around you. Right. So I had this, I was like, just basically like a walking bomb almost. And uh, yeah, I just, I just went up and I just bolted, like it was that flight response and I just took off, which, you know, in hindsight was the worst thing I could have done because the guys were chasing me, yelling at me to stop and you can't put out a gas fire. Right without smothering it so i'm like rolling around and trying to slap it off and i don't yeah like people ask me how long were you on fire for and um i don't know too long for sure and uh yeah it was it was a crazy crazy night and then um we were to make matters worse we were in the middle of nowhere no service and so here i am like i'm in i'm in bad shape i remember like finally the guys tackled me we put it out and I just remember like everyone's faces just like jaws open. People were crying. And I remember looking at myself like, holy fuck. I like, this is not good. Like it was bad. And uh, yeah. So anyways, we finally, one of the guy's girlfriends wasn't drinking. We got, got to the hospital and my shock started wearing off and I was freaking out. And then I just remember running into the emergency room at whatever time, like ass naked, bleeding, (laughs) dirty, like I had rocks in my skin just because I was my I was raw, right? And I was rolling around. There was no water or grass, which would have been obviously game life changing, right? But uh, yeah, there was nothing to help other than the guys, you know, 
slapping me with their jackets and smothering me. And uh, yeah, I got, I got airlifted to Vancouver hospital a couple hours later and woke up and that's when the whole, uh, this whole journey and recovery started for me. Um, but yeah, like the first few days were pretty, pretty blurry. I don't remember a ton. Um, I was pretty out of it. And then, yeah, after a few days, once the doctors got a look under the bandages and they said, Hey, here's what you're looking at. I was 40% second and third degree burns and wrapped like a mummy. And, um, yeah, he kind of just started telling me what the recovery would look like. And I don't, it was a really mixed bag of emotions for me because I'm like, he, I basically, I asked him, I'm like, well, we have our, our season starts in four months. And for me, like I hadn't talked to a single college. I had one more year of eligibility. Right. And I was like, if I can just, you know, add a little bit more of that offensive layer to my game, like I knew I could get a scholarship somewhere. Right. Maybe it was div three or, or whatever. And, uh, and I remember the doctor looked at me like this fucking kid, poor kid thinks he's going to play hockey in four months. And he just said, listen, like you're going to be in here a while. And I mean, you're not going to play hockey in, in a four months, like maybe in a couple of years, it's going to be a long recovery. And like, I was going to be in, I was wore a full body suit for, for two years. Um, wow. for scarring. Yeah. And he just said, yeah, like, let's just, let's just focus on the summer and it's going to be a long one for you. And, um, and like, yeah, let's not think about that. And so for me, it was like this, like I said, a mixed bag where, I'm like, okay, close the book on that. Like my career is over. And again, not like I had a, a, a super promising one, right? Like I was really just chasing that scholarship. And like, that was my NHL. If I could get a scholarship, then that was, that was good for me. That was, that's all I figured. That was my peak. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, and on the flip side, I was, I was happy that, you know, I could live a relatively normal life. Like my face isn't going to be super scarred. It was like a really bad sunburn with some blisters, but they're like, you're not going to have any scarring. You're going to have some skin grafts everywhere else. But um, yeah, for the most part, you'll, you'll have a full recovery. It'll take a while, but, um, and I was like, well, chicks dig scars, I guess. Right. So here we go. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so, and that goes in. So the first two weeks I was, I was in a shitload of pain and I was just trying to deal with this new reality. And then I, I got a call from my junior coach um, and he said, you know, how you doing? And I said, well, it's not great. I'm just cooped up here, whatever. And he said, I got a call from, or I was talking with Brown university, one of the assistant coaches. And he was like, we just chatted and they're looking for this type of player. And he's like, well, I got the perfect guy for you. I think his, his exact words were they need a guy to put, the fear of God into the defenseman of the Ivy league. And he's like, yeah, I got the perfect guy for you. There's just one problem. He's fucking burnt himself to a crisp. Right. And um, so he just said, just call him and just talk to him. And so I did, I called the assistant coach from Brown and it was pretty open-ended just, um, you know, we were sorry to hear what happened. We just hope you make a full recovery. We'd love to see you play one day which obviously I think everyone knew that, I mean, I was going into my last year and that wasn't going to happen. And that was kind of it. And they just wished me, you know, the best in my recovery. And I remember I hung up the phone uh, that night and I, I had like, I've had a few epiphanies in my life. And this was the first where I hung up the phone and I was like, I'm sitting in this burn unit with people are screaming around me and I'm, and I'm in a lot of pain. I just remember like, thinking that I had worked so hard 
my whole life just to get, I, I'm like, I finally got this opportunity. Like a college team was interested and now look where I am. Right. And um, I just remember I made a choice that night and I was basically said, fuck that. Like that's, they, there was this big list of reasons why I couldn't play hockey. And it was like, the risk of infection is too high and, and your skin grafts are going to be too limiting and you can't sweat properly and, and all this big long list. Right. And you're going to be in a full body suit, uh, all this, these limiting factors. And I just said that, well, those weren't good enough reasons for me. And um, yeah, I made a choice that night. And, and like, I tell people that's where this whole world of visualization opened up for me because and people ask me, well, like, how did you, how did you like think to do that? I'm like, I couldn't move. Like my mind was all I had. Uh, like I was bedridden. So I'm like, well, instead of thinking about how shitty this is, I just made a choice to start visualizing what I wanted to happen. And, and that's how the whole uh, recovery started. There's, I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it than that, obviously. And um, you know, I had, I had multiple surgeries that summer. I had kidney stones the day after I got out of the hospital I, and then I had an appendectomy like 10 days before camp and they had to cut through my skin graft to get it, which was a whole other complication. Um, and then, yeah, like my, I just remember like I was, I was holding on by a thread playing, playing that season. Um, I only played like 20 games or 25 games or something uh, because I like the doctors were right. I had no business playing. I really didn't. And I was in a lot of pain not just the burns, but like my, my burns on my legs were such deep third degree burns that it, it was starting to cause some instability. Like the, none of the doctors could really put their finger on it other than like, yeah, you have this suffered these huge, you know, burns that there's your pelvis is just like, I just, I couldn't even walk to the rink. I could, I was on crutches and, but I knew that Brown was coming to watch me at this date. And I'm like, I just got to hold on. Like, and I was holding on by a thread and they finally came to watch me and ended up offering me, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later. And then I shut it down. And, uh, you know, for me, I was like, I did it. And I kind of gave myself the permission to be like, okay, like we got to recover now. And, uh, and, and yeah, so that's the story of, of how, how Brown, you know, came about. They called me when I was in the hospital in the burn unit. Wow. Holy shit, dude. That's yeah. a, pretty damn inspiring story i mean yeah, i know that it's been i know that was a lot time. to go through but holy yeah. crap i mean here you are telling that it's like you know that that could probably help a lot of people who are in some shitty situations these days definitely yeah, yeah. It was, it's definitely been a wild ride so outside yeah. of like visualization how did you stay positive in that you know aspect because you know that was a while ago too so i'm assuming that mental health conversation wasn't as prevalent as it is in society now so yeah how did you keep yourself positive in a situation like that yeah i mean it was a it was a grind every day for sure i mean with with when you're in that that amount of pain and and those doubts creep in every day right like trust me i had this battle every day in my head where i made this choice but that you know, that negative side was always trying to creep in and say like, these, these doctors have seen, I don't know, thousands of burns and why are you different? And, uh, and all these things. And, and oh, man, when I stepped on the ice, I couldn't walk for probably six weeks uh, after I got out of the hospital that summer, because if I did all the blood would rush to my grass and my legs and bleed out. So I couldn't, I couldn't stand up. And I, like I skated, uh, sometime in August for the first time. And I remember like 
thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to play in, in like three weeks. I could barely, I could barely move. And so it was just that constant battle of, you know, are the doctors right? What are you doing? Just, just give up kind of thing. Cause man, yeah, like it sucked. And, um, but again, with like that visualization of, I, I could see, I could see myself playing and I, like I, I saw myself getting out of the hospital earlier, which I did um, and coming back to play. And I, you know, visualize myself at Brown and putting on the Jersey and, and signing my commitment letter and talking to the guys on the phone. Like that's all I would think about. And it just gave me this superpower. Um, it really did. And, uh, but yeah, to, to answer your question, it was, it was really hard to stay positive. It, it was. Um, but I think it's just a testament of, of, really what we're actually capable of you know yeah Uh, yeah man that's that's what it's all about i mean props to you that's a that's a hell of an experience to go through and to make it out as positively as you did i mean that's something you know you got to hang your hat on there for sure yeah yeah yeah, no i appreciate it thanks thanks for sharing it with us too and with all the listeners and i i'm sure we'll ask you a little bit more about your book and some of the stuff you're up to these days once we kind of get to the end of this but i yeah. definitely want to hear a little more about your brown experience and how that was once you made it there uh what the team was like what the school was like talk about that for a bit yeah my experience at brown was was awesome i mean w- when i went there like my perspective on life had changed right i mean when you go through something like that and like i had made it and to you know to like i said to my nhl like that was it for me and so really like I just focused on, on have had, I had a good time and um, I still worked my ass off and I was like the most fit guy on the team and played hard, but yeah, I just, I just had fun and just enjoyed life and tried not to, I didn't really have any cares. I just, like I said, that, that perspective really shifted uh, for me. And I didn't think about hockey after, because again, like I had no reason to. Um, So I I focused on school, had a good time. Uh, Brown was awesome. I really enjoyed it. The city of Providence was really cool. Uh, we didn't have a very good team for my four years, but uh, but we went on a run my last year. Um, yeah, man, I like I have nothing good or no bad things to to say about Brown. It, it was a, it was a great experience. Other than like we didn't have the best team, but uh, great group of guys. I'm still like those are my closest friends uh, to this day. Who who I you know graduated with there, and yeah, it was it was great. What was your degree in? Uh, I basically took pre-med human biology. Wow. Um, yeah. So for me, that was the really cool thing of, of taking some of the neuroscience classes and learning about the brain and, you know, the plasticity and subconscious. And I'm like, I like got to learn and almost prove like what I went through with, you know, with the brain, the plasticity and rewiring that subconscious and that belief. And I'm like, holy shit, I got to like learn about what I had been through. So that was really cool. If I'm not mistaken, you were uh, NCAA all academic team three years. I don't know what happened your senior year there, but uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> Focusing more on hockey, I guess. <laughs> yeah, apparently you were the captain. You had a lot to a uh, lot to focus on. So. Yeah, I had too much on my shoulders as the captain, right? <laughs> Got to worry about everyone else, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, it was. Uh, it, I mean, it didn't make being a student athlete any easier i mean because i had like you know the labs and all that stuff which took up some time but uh it was funny when i went there i just i I wasn't gonna take sciences that's what i was interested in but you know everyone else was doing business and 
an econ and and that's kind of what I figured I would be doing after and I'd be living out east and and doing something like that um and I remember talking you know they have a really good mentor program there and I talked to to my mentor and I asked him that question I'm like I don't know what to take I mean I feel like I should just take all this business stuff or econ and he's like just take what you want to take because he's like I work with tons of guys on he was working on Wall Street he's like half the guys I work with have geology degrees and it doesn't matter. It's who, you know, and it's, it's, you can prove you can learn something and, and, and commit to something. Right. Um, unless you want to be like a doctor or something, then yeah, well, you should probably specify. And not that I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I didn't rule it out, but, um, yeah, I figured, okay, I'll, I'll stick with what I want to do. And so I, I, yeah, I basically took, took pre-med. At an Ivy league college, just saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily putting it to use at the moment, but uh, <laughs> it came in handy for, you know, on the knowledge side of what I do now, for sure. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. So how, how after Brown did your hockey career kind of stay alive? I know you had, um, you know, some games with the Manitoba Moose and the Vancouver Canucks. You want to talk about how your college career segued into your professional career? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, good question. So for me, it was after my, my junior year at Brown, my third year, I had another, I had this epiphany again and we, we just lost out. And one of the assistant coaches pulled me aside and he said, Hey, you ever thought about playing pro hockey? And I, I just remember laughing in his face and I was like, no, I'm, I'm 24 years old. Uh, why would I, you know, I don't have a reason to, I mean, I could have, I knew I probably could have went and take, taken a shot at maybe the East coast league or something like that. Um, but you know, he was like, I really think you could have a good, you know, 10 year American league career. And who knows if you add some of that offensive elements to your game, you know, maybe a shot at the NHL. Like for me, I could hit, that was my thing. Right. And I was hurting guys in college and he's like, some of the scouts in the American league are like, you know, they're asking about you. And I thought, holy shit. So I went home that night and yeah, again, I just made a choice where I'm like, I thought back to the, to my experience in that burn unit and coming back to play hockey um, or not only just to play hockey, but to get, to get this scholarship. And I'm like, if I can do that, like, why can't I play in the NHL? It seemed to, you know, that seems harder than, than this challenge. And so I made a decision. I'm like, I'm going to play in the NHL. And um, yeah, I called my parents the next day and I'm like, I'm, I'm not coming home. I'm staying out in Providence. And uh, yeah, I just basically, and then I went back to, to the visualization, right. Because that's what I had known to, to help me so much, you know, with that other experience, but, but I had lost that edge, um, my first three years, because like I said, that was, that was my peak. So I didn't really, I don't know, you know, you're young, you don't really think. And I'm just like, that was it for me. And I didn't think what's next. Um, when in hindsight, I, I mean, I wish I did earlier, but for me, it's just all happened for a reason. And, uh, yeah, I, I made that choice and I went to the rink and I just basically lived at the rink. I just, I, I worked out in the morning I visualized, you know, in the, in the later mornings. And then I would work on my skills like for four or five hours a day. And then I'd go work out for another two, three hours. And yeah, I just became a machine. And I mean, people like they'll, they'll ask me about my stats of like, Oh, you really figured it out that last year at, at Brown or you, you know, you, you had a, you got lucky or whatever. And it, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, again, just with the visualization. And, and then it, it was just this perfect storm. Like I got off to a hot start and, and never really looked back. And yeah, like I went in the span of one year, I, I went, I was 24 years old. I went from no one in the NHL knowing who I was to 
I was probably a top five NCAA free agent that year. Um, I didn't have the most points, but I had almost a point a game. And but I had like I was twenty, almost twenty five years old. I was probably two hundred and fifteen pounds playing against eighteen year olds. Like I was hurting guys bad. And uh, as much as you don't want to, you know, advocate for hurting guys, like I'm not trying to injure you, but hey, if I break your collarbone, like, well, tough break. And <laughs> literally. You know, yeah, yeah, quite literally. No, no fun. It's a clean hit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're just doing your job, right? But, so. uh, but that stuff starts to get attention, right? Especially where I was, you know, I was playing on the power play and I was scoring goals and, you know, I started getting attention and yeah, I went from, I had like, I was talking to like 10 different teams, had a bunch of contract offers and it just, it happened really quick for me. And again, just what I tell people, like it, you never know, man, like I was 25 years old until it was just like a possibility. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the, then the rest is kind of history. I signed with Vancouver out of, you know, the, the handful of, of offers I had. And, um, and then, but again, like you, you sign this NHL deal, but, and people think like, oh, you made it. And I mean, the real work kind of just begins, right? You have to go slug it out in the minors literally. And um, kind of went back to that and, and, and then, yeah. And then got my shots full time uh, my second year pro with Vancouver. So house league at 14 and playing college at 24 going on 25 and you still make the NHL. I mean, I would, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going <laughs> to say that there's probably not anybody else who's done that. And if there has, then, you know, apologies, but that's a, that's yeah, a unique record. Many, I don't think if, if there are. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a unique track record. Yeah. Do you remember like when you sort of first discovered, like I'm pretty good at punching other guys in the face. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that's a good question. My, I, I specifically remember a, like a story of when I was, I was actually 10 years old or is that grade five? Yeah. 10, 10 years old. And I remember I was getting bullied by this kid. Um, again, like we lived in a little trailer, trailer park. And I remember it, it, it's kind of like tainted my childhood because I remember like, why, why does that matter? You know? And, and for some of these silver spoon kids that, that would, pick on pick on me and my sister for that like it just it's such a leaves a sour taste in my mouth but this kid would like push me uh you know coming walking home from school and like you know say go back to your trailer park and you trailer trash kind of thing and I remember like not even again like it I didn't even register for me that that was a, a bad thing right and I remember talking to my dad like this kid's pushing me and um so I told him I told the teachers nothing helped and I remember my dad my dad was like a golden gloves boxer. So he was, um, and his grandpa that who I never met, he was a mean bastard. So we have that, that gene in us, I think. And, um, and I boxed as a kid all growing up. Like my dad taught, taught the, uh, the boxing club. So that's kind of where it stems a little bit from, I think where, you know, I was decent at it, but yeah, I remember my dad just pulled me aside. He's like, next time he does that to you, you turn around and you punch him as hard as you can right in the nose. Green light. And, I think a lot of parents will, uh, you know, chastise me for that maybe. Um, but it's a different world now. And I think my dad was like, listen, there, there comes a time where you've done the right things and you've tried to resolve this with the parents and with your teachers, there comes a time you have to, you have to stand up for yourself. And, and that's what I did. And, and I remember thinking, I'm like, well, cause I was 10. I'm like terrified. I'm like, well, what if he like fights back? And he's like, he won't. And I'm like, I just remember thinking like, how does he know that? 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and he's like, if he does act crazy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, uh, but that's not like to say my dad, like we had a very strict rule. Like by no means do you instigate a fight, do you yep. bully, you know, yeah. all these things, but it kind of came to this breaking point. So that's, that's my first memory of kind of having that, I wouldn't say a fighting mentality, but I do think that served me like later in life with like, you know, being in the burn unit and having that fighter mentality. Right. Um, but yeah, like to answer your question, I boxed as a kid lots growing up. And I mean, I had to learn how to fight just the way I played. Um, so I remember going into, I had just graduated high school and I was going to Vernon and my dad was like, we're putting the gloves back on because you're going to be doing some fighting this year. And he was right. And uh, I actually remember, it's, it's a funny story, but I, I remember my, my first like five or six fight in Vernon that year, my first year I had done well, I'd start, you know, one and I wasn't a big guy, but you know, I was, I was scrappy. And I remember we were in trail and uh, we were losing like six, one. And I ran their goalie just because I was, that's what we were supposed to do is do shit, you know, towards the end of the game and send a message. <laughs> right. So I remember just running this goalie in the corner. And of course this line brawl ensued and got broken up and I come back to the bench. There's like a minute left in their whole, they had a tough, tough team. And they sent out all their heavyweights and they skate by the bench and they told their coach, put ball patty out. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I felt pretty good. I've won my, you know, first five or six fights done pretty well. And I line up beside this big prairie guy, like from Sask, he's like probably 220, 6'3 or whatever. And he beat me senseless. Like I remember he hit me so hard and, but I was like trying to go shot for shot with him. Like I had done. Right. And I, I learned the hard way. To, to maybe pick the spots a little bit better but I remember he picked me up like this and just hit me again and I remember I woke up the next morning at my billets house so we had to bust back my nose was broken um, you guys can probably see it it's been broken a lot of times but that was the second time I broke it that one was pretty bad but I woke up the next morning and sorry I, I forgot to say it was the game the last game before Christmas break so we go home and I'm like going to drive home to Revelstoke, which is like a two hour drive. Let's go spend some time, uh, you know, with my parents at home. And I remember waking up in the morning. And I'm like, I can't see. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> my eyes were swollen shut. Oh. And I remember I had I had to like go up the stairs and like yell at my billet. I was like, Brenda, <laughs> pass me the phone. And I just remember she was like, oh, my God. And uh, so I didn't drive home that day. I had to sit on the couch with bag of peas and just be like hopefully i can see tomorrow and oh my i remember gosh. i remember going driving home the next day and my mom just cried when i walked in the door because she was terrified and my dad just kind of gave me the nod like that you won't do that again and i, and I did it <laughs> and yeah. i did it and i i mean yeah i took some lickings obviously but not not like that um but yeah, yeah a funny story yeah that's a that's a rough one for sure yeah. But um, let's fast forward a little bit to December 16th, 2010. Um, you get the call up, make your NHL debut two nights later in a home game against the Leafs. I'm sure you remember that experience like it was yesterday. You want to touch on the rush of emotions that you were feeling? Yeah, obviously it was it, it was it was so special just with the journey I had been on and and to 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 have it happen in Vancouver of all places you know, as a fan growing up. And like I said, just that journey with the burn 
the burn unit. I actually ended up living like two blocks away from the burn unit the, the summer after I signed. And I remember I would just go, I'd go and hang out and, and just like think about, you know, being in there. And I'd, I'd walk through the doors and walk out like a million times. Uh, it was just like this nostalgia that, that I had with it of like overcoming and conquering that. But yeah, man, it was, it was, it was pretty emotional just having everyone there with my family after, you know, everything I'd been through and, and this crazy journey I'd been on. Uh, I remember like not sleeping a lot and being pretty nervous uh, in the game. It's funny, like some guys get really nervous and other guys, you know, they don't really at all. For me, I, I was really nervous. And I remember going out for warm up and like trying to stick handle and just like keep losing the puck. So eventually I just didn't even touch the pucks in warm up. I just kind of skated around and just took it all in. And uh, yeah, it was pretty emotional. It was, it was really cool. And I mean, it's like every guy will tell you that, you know, your nerves get you, but then as soon as the game starts, you kind of settle in and it's just like, it's just like any other game. I mean, the guys are bigger, faster and, and, and better, but um, it's just like any other game. And so I settled in and, and had a, a good probably six or seven minutes of ice time and did my thing, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey man. I mean, whatever yeah. works, right? Totally. Yeah. Uh, and then in your second game, you scored your first NHL goal against Yarrow Halak of the Blues on December 20th, 2010. You want to talk about how uh, you got that one in, through the pipes? Yeah, who I later would play with in Washington, and I was, and I would always give him a hard time. Like, Yarrow, don't forget. Goal. <laughs> <laughs> to me. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, you know what? That I tell my, my son's six now, so and he's just like, he's just right into it. So he's always asking about like, when did you score your first goal? But he knows all the answers. He just always likes to ask me. And, um, but I, I, I tell people like that second game I played in St. Louis was the best game I ever played. Uh, which is funny. It just, I don't know, everything just, just clicked. And I, I just felt, you know, felt at ease, felt like I belonged, scored that goal. I actually hit a post later in the game too. So I remember the game ended and I'm like, I almost scored two goals in like in the NHL. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm here to stay you know and I, I i felt really good and that that didn't last i had to you know still play my role but um but yeah and it was uh it was definitely definitely a cool cool first year i had um you know just going through that and then going on that cup run uh came up got sent back down uh in the playoffs with manitoba and then got called up with black aces and then i actually almost played in game seven of the finals against Holy the Bruins. we had a guy hurt God. yeah we had a guy hurt and i remember the coach came up to uh to our group and he's like one of you two guys is playing tomorrow and i'm like holy shit i'm gonna <laughs> i might play in the stanley cup finals and like win a cup i mean i might play one minute but who cares but your name you know? would be on the cup if you played in that game right yeah yeah, yeah. so crazy. i didn't he, the other guy ended up going in he was a centerman so i think you know just having that and was, that's why they lost the Bruins because <laughs> you heard it, you heard it here, <laughs> but uh, well, you know, what's funny is like, that's a big part of, of why I established myself the next year, because the consensus was that we got pushed around and bullied by the Bruins. Right. Um, that was a big, a big sticking point with a lot of people. And I, I had a good camp. I mean, they brought in like that next year, they brought in guys like Todd Fedork, Owen Nolan, all these heavyweights and just cause, and I had like 15 games my first year and I played well. And I'm, I kind of thought like that fourth line spot was, was mine. And there's always competition of course at camp, but you know, that year was especially like, Holy shit. I, I kind of was like, 
you know, not second guessing it, but you know, is this spot really mine? I'm going to start in the minors again. And, but I had a really good, good camp and I had, uh, I would call them the double homicide games where I'd, you know, knock out a guy with a hit and then knock out a guy with a fight. And that's what I had against San Jose in exhibition. And I, I hit, I hit the mares coming around the net pretty good. And he went off and then uh, Winchester uh, challenged me and then I knocked him out. And I remember after the game, one of the assistant coaches kind of gave, we like kind of locked eyes and I knew I'm like, I made the team for sure. And it was kind of just that look like he gave me like good game, kind of like a wink. And nice. yeah, I figured that was it. And, I, and then I made the team. So, um, but yeah, going back to that first year, it was, it was a great experience. I mean, we had a the Vancouver, I think we won the president's trophy that year. Like we were pretty good. Obviously. So I was gonna, I was gonna say you played on Vancouver arguably in their best season ever in the past decade. Was yeah. is there anyone who like kind of took you under their wing? I mean, there's obviously some really big names that we could probably talk for hours about. I, I think that was Daniel Sedin's. I don't know if he won MVP or Art Ross or both. It could have been both. I can't yeah. remember exactly, but he had a monster season. Um, but was there anyone who you know kind of took you under your wing and you got along with real well? I wouldn't say there was one guy in particular. I mean, this Hank and Danny were awesome. I mean, everyone will tell you that, like, it doesn't matter if you're a fourth line call up or a line mate of theirs, everyone's treated the same. And, and so they were awesome with me. Like I remember that Manny Malholtra was another guy that, that I really liked. And he, he kind of worked with me on things after practice and really helped me out. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say there was one guy in particular. Uh, I think like in Manitoba, Mike Keene was my line mate. Uh, my first like when I was on my ATO right after Brown and he really you know helped me out and and just in terms of my role and and who I had to be and how I had to play so I'll remember him too and because he was like I don't know early 40s and he'd he'd been around right and so I got a taste of that but yeah in terms of Vancouver I would say there wasn't one person in particular but definitely the Sedins and like a guy like Manny really sticks out um, I mean, we had a, a great group of guys, but, but yeah, I'd say they, those, those few guys would stick out. We were looking through a lot of the different guys you played with in Manitoba and Washington and Vancouver. And one that always jumps out to me and Nick being Caps fans all our life is uh, Matt Pettinger, who you got to play with in Manitoba oh, yeah. just for a little while. But yeah. there's a, a whole cast of obviously great players that you uh, got to play with, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I was really lucky to play on two amazing teams really and with, with some amazing players. Right. I mean, obviously the capitals, we don't, everyone knows who those guys are. Um, but yeah, just, just seeing the day to day, not even the games, but the day to day stuff of these guys, like Ovi and Backy and the, the shit they would do in practice on the regular. It's just like, Holy shit. And like the Sedins were the same, like they would do stuff. And I mean, I remember trying to get on the penalty kill, and you know, in a game and you're going in practice against the Sedins and and and, <laughs> and, and Backy, and I'm like, oh man, like this isn't making this isn't helping my case here. Yeah, that's rough. You know, so they're like throwing saucer passes over my head and like through my legs, and I was like, oh my god. Without even looking uh, at each other, too. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, so, coaches uh, were doing power play, like, oh fuck, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I remember going through that in college because I had a bunch of contract offers, like I said. So there was an element of Hey, like, should I try and, you know, sign on with a team that's not as good to maybe have a better opportunity? But um, there was a few factors. I mean, one being Vancouver and, and the, the, the terms were like, weren't even really close with Vancouver. So I was like, well, 
I currently have $0 in my bank account. So I'm like, I'm going to probably take that for guaranteed money. And, you know, it's Vancouver. So, um, and they were on me from the earliest. So, you know, I, it was a pretty easy decision, but yeah, like it, I did think about it with, with my agent of, you know, I might get a better opportunity somewhere. Cause yeah, the Vancouver was stacked and, um, played with some, yeah, some world-class guys on, on both, both teams. So. Before we talk about the rest of your tenure in Vancouver and then your transition to Washington, I always like to ask guests who played with guys that I would probably define as uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Irritators, um, agitators, something like that. Uh, Ryan Kessler, one guy that I've always kind of thought is just like a a pain in the ass, scores 40 goals, beats the shit out of everybody, kills penalties, face off, you name it, he does it. What was he like in the locker room? Yeah, him and uh, him and Bieksa had this sort of uh, presence about him that was like this this cockiness, but they could back it up and like they thought it was funny. So it would <laughs> drive me crazy, I think, if I played against him. But yeah. but like seeing it in on the day to day, I mean, they were great. Um, but yeah, they definitely had like a swagger and didn't really give a shit what you thought. Um, and that's what makes them, you know who they are and, and how they, you know, they played their roles well, but yeah, they were, they were fun dynamic to have in the dressing room, the two of them. And, you know, they were, they, they were serious and they were really, you know, obviously competitors, but they knew when to keep it light and and have a good time and and all these things. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't think I would have enjoyed playing against them with that, especially (laughs) Kess, Kess with his, like, I mean, cause, cause juice could really back it up and he was a tough dude. Right where, where Kess, he's kind of lanky and, uh, but man, mm-hmm. he could, he could play like that playoffs. He was on a different level, um, on that run. And, but yeah, he would piss guys off. I mean, I wouldn't say him and Marchand are like similar players, but, um, eh. they have, they have that ability to, to get under your skin, which just, it makes them better. Right. And, and Kess definitely had that. Yeah. I think when he was on the ducks, him and Ryan Johansson really got at oh, each yeah. other that one playoff series that's uh yeah kind of one of the reasons i like to ask but uh yeah no he's so, definitely a competitor so yeah i mean you you make the lineup uh the next season after the cup run and then unfortunately i know you kind of had a shoulder injury you want to talk about you know what what happened there and then your transition uh into washington yeah i had uh, i had this nagging shoulder injury uh pretty early on that that year my second year there And uh, it just kept getting worse to the point where it was like popping out all the time and um, causing me a lot of issues um, to the point where the last game I played. um, Yeah, it was just, it was just becoming a a daily thing that was, you know, I could barely move it and struggling to to play. And so we kind of made a decision with the doctors. I went and got the MRI and, and I basically had no labrum left. So it was just kind of like floating around in there. And I remember like, the consensus was like, Hey, you could, you can play with this. Um, the risk is like, you're going to tear that rotator cuff more, which then you're talking like a nasty recovery. Cause my rotator cuff was like, I don't know, 20% torn or something, but enough that they're like, if we do the surgery now, you know, you'll have this four to six month recovery. Uh, your rotator cuff will be fine. It'll heal on its own. And then you might even be ready for the, the end of the season. And then you'll definitely be good for, for the next year. And, or we grind it out through the year and, uh, um, 
yeah. And then you, you might have to get surgery in the off season. And I was, that was my contract year. So I'm like, I don't know, you kind of weigh all these different things that go into it. Right. So I decided to like get it dealt with then and I could, you know, be healthy by the end of the year, hopefully come back in the lineup and sign another maybe one or two year deal with them. Right. And uh, so that's what I did. And I, I, I didn't end up getting back in the lineup because the team, we were still really good. So the team was rolling. I came back in like March, there was a few weeks left in the season and I just didn't get back in and which, which was fine. And we got bounced the first round to LA. That's when they won the cup as the eight seed, I think. And uh, I think they swept us. They just ran right over. I think us and everybody. They other swept team. like everybody. I think yeah. they swept everyone except maybe one team that year. It was I really think the nice. finals was like in five or something yep. or whatever. Yeah, they just rolled through everyone. Um, anyway, so yeah, it, it didn't quite work out as I wanted, but I was totally healthy going into the next year. And then the lockout happened, which was tough for me because, and that's the whole, that that's a whole nother story. But I, I signed another a two-year or sorry a two-way uh one-year deal um like i had a bit of i took a bit of a pay cut just because i missed most of the season right and so like whatever but they still you know saw me in their plans and so i signed the deal and then i had my bags packed for the team and move the ahl team moved from chicago or sorry from manitoba to chicago and i had my bags packed i was i was ready to go to chicago and they called me and they said well we're not sending you down and i was like what why I'm like, I need to play. I haven't played in almost a year and they just didn't want to lose me on waivers. And I didn't even, I was like, there's waivers in a lockout. Like no one else is getting kept around on the two way. So I was like, I don't know. I, I had again, mixed feelings where I felt good that they, they wanted, they saw me as like in their, you know, their starting, starting lineup. And, but, um, but I was like, I need to play. I haven't played in a year. Um, so I, I didn't end up, playing in Chicago that year and then the lockout ended and 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 then yeah that's when I, I went to Washington yeah like halfway through that shortened season or something like that how'd you find that transition I I loved Washington um it was very two very different organizations at that point like Vancouver was is what you would imagine an NHL team to be like very structured you know, <clears throat> everything in your day is planned from workouts to meals to ice times to video. And then I got to Washington and it was like, it was a country club, man. It was <laughs> I'm like, I remember being there for the first week. And I remember asking one of the guys, like, this is like day five or six. And I was like, do we have a workout? And they're like, it was probably Ovi. He's like, yeah, if you want to. And I'm like, <laughs> and, uh, so it was definitely a country club and that culture shifted my next year. And it's, it's, def it's way different now, but I think that, I mean, that's not all the reason why I think, you know, they had a lot of success again, after I left, like that's, that's weird. Right. But, um, but yeah, they, uh, it was definitely more regimented the next year. And then even more so when trots came in and that whole shift. Um, so yeah, it was, it was too much of a country club, uh, and um yeah that that changed and then i think you saw you know a big culture shift in the organization and um i was i was pumping the guys won the cup because i obviously you know knew most of the team still and uh yeah i'll never forget what obi's you know that emotion he had when he put put that cup over his head was pretty cool um but yeah those guys went through you know they had a lot of success but a lot of it was just 
I don't, I can't speak for them in earlier in their careers, but you know, they just learned the hard way and, and, and had to go about it, you know, yeah, the long way around and, and figure out that, Oh man, this, this is really hard and, and, and to bear down. And they did. And yeah, it was really cool to see. We've, obviously heard some pretty funny stories about Ovi in terms of, you know, what he does in the locker room, what he likes to eat and what he likes to drink on the bench. Uh, any of those oh, yeah. jump out to you, you know, you, first time you meet him, first impressions, stuff like that. I mean, the only thing that I remember is like, I remember being in Vancouver and everyone was just like specimens. Like, you know, I'm a pretty in shape guy. And I just remember I was pretty average and um, guys were like six, 7% body fat, just, cut and like what you would expect and then I remember going to Washington and I'm like I feel like everyone's not in that good of shape is, I'm, <laughs> is that what I'm doing wrong <laughs> and, uh, but they are they are the, the crazy thing is like some of those euros like especially the Swedes they might not look like even the Sedins and, and like Backy they don't they don't necessarily look like they're the most like ripped guys or in shape guys but you go want to like hike up a mountain with against those guys they're gonna crush you like and from the outside in like I felt like I was in better shape but I don't know it's just it's just a weird I don't know if it's a genetic genetic thing but some of those euros could just they could just go you know um maybe it's the big ice yeah who knows right but uh but yeah I remember thinking like should I do less is that what I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) um but no like I mean yeah, Ovi and, and those guys were, it was such a, it was such a fun, fun team. It, like I said, it was different than Vancouver, but it was, we had a super close group of guys and um, like, it wasn't clicky at all. Like everyone hung out together and, and we just had a good time and, um, and then they put the other pieces to the puzzle, you know, over the next few years, obviously. Right. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could tell you a million Ovi stories. <laughs> um, yeah. Like just, just like, yeah, what, like you guys said, what, you, what he was eating and, and drinking before the games. And um, I was like, maybe I should do that. <laughs> <laughs> a little Pepsi but, on the uh, bench. I remember my, my, it was like one of my first games that I went there because the team was struggling, right? Because I was picked up on waivers. So it was the worst team gets you who puts in a claim. Um, and a lot of teams put in a claim. So they were, they were pretty far down there. So Oates was the coach and he put me, I remember like, again, this is like my, I don't know third or fourth game puts me on a line with Ovi and Backy to start the game. And I'm like, Holy shit. I'm like, this is cool. I'm playing with Ovi and, and Backy. And I think it lasted one shift. I think I dumped the puck in and they got to the bench and they're like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Oh God. Get this guy off our line. <laughs> but, uh, oh, <laughs> um, one guy that obviously we, you know, we're from the DC area, but we have a lot of New York listeners. This is a very polarizing name. You already probably know who I'm talking about is uh, a young Tom Wilson that you got to play with along with his partner in crime at the time, Michael Lada. Did you oh, yeah. know, did you know when you met Wilson that like he was going to turn into what he is now? I mean, he's probably the most polarizing guy in the league. You could argue. Yeah. I don't think I, I realized he would become this, this big of a name to, to be honest like he was he was a big dude but he was only 19 I think at the time so it's kind of tough to it's tough to gauge right um I knew he was fearless and he would he would throw down and fight um you know which is for a 19 year old kid fighting some of the, those big guys right which was pretty impressive but yeah like for me again like you're 19 I, I didn't know like his skill levels come so far 
from, from where he started. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't think he would necessarily be, you know, where he is now. Um, I mean, I'm happy for him. Like I got to play with him those, that first, first year, year and a half or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see how, how he's progressed and, um, it just goes to show you, like, I mean, not just, he's got some, uh, some more skill than some of the other guys in the, in the league that, that play that role, um, I guess, but it just goes to show you that there's still, there's still room for those guys, you know, like Reeves, um, and, and some of these guys that, you know, that Delorier guy on, on the ducks, like there's still that, there's still a need for those guys. Right. And, and, you know, and Willie just, he was able to add those layers onto his game and, and obviously be, you know, a huge piece of that team. So. What was your impression of the city as a whole, you know, obviously going from Vancouver, you know, a city you probably knew pretty well to, to DC. Uh, what was your impression? Yeah. I, I love DC. I didn't really read, like I had played there once in, with Vancouver, but I don't think we stayed in, we had the jet right after the game or something, but um, yeah, I didn't really realize how, you know, how much of like there's different culture there. And I mean, how many restaurants and, and bars are in DC? Like so many, right. Where Vancouver kind of was like, it's a bit of a small, big city. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't know what to expect, but I was like, I was, frankly, I was blown away. I loved it there. I mean, we were in downtown in a new restaurant and or bar and trying to have a good time. And no one really lived in DC. I don't think when we played there, I don't know where the guys, if anyone lives there now, but mostly probably Virginia, Alexandria, yeah. stuff like that. Arlington. Yeah. That's where most of the guys live, but yeah, we were in DC all the time. Um, obviously for the games and stuff, but yeah, just on, just on the regular, like trying to head down there because I was like, yeah, I was blown away with the different culture and, and all these things that, you know, I had no idea. I mean, obviously like, you know, the political climate there and, um, but just going able to see all the Smithsonian museums and all these things. And like I said, the arts and the culture and the, and the, the food and, and all that was, was awesome. So yeah, I loved it. Mac, I know you had a uh, couple fire round questions that you just wanted to ask before we kind of wrap things up. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm curious what, what guys you still keep in touch with and sort of from either team or from any of your older teams too, just what, what bonds have uh, been maintained over all those years. Yeah. I've kind of lost touch with most guys. Like I texted, texted Willie for the first, you know, few years, I would say, um, I kept in touch with Carl Alsner for a while. Like him and I will still, he lived out here this past summer and, and we, you know, we, we hung around quite a bit. We've had him on uh, the show. actually, he was, oh, a, have you? he's a really yeah. fun interview. He had some he's, good stories. He's, he's back, hilarious. He's back down there. I think. Yep. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's doing he's a doing podcast radio, now too. Oh yeah. I he, I, well, I think he yeah. does something with caps pregame, Nick Mack. You, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a Caps then. podcast or something like that. But yeah, he's he is back down there now. He told us a wild rookie story party about like Jose <laughs> Theodore and oh, yeah, nice. it was a good one. But that's funny. Yeah, so so Alzi and I, but yeah, I've kind of and I I kept in touch with Jay Beagle for a few years. Like we were line mates, and um, I keep in touch with like not too many guys on the Canucks. Like I've. I'd love to get down for more like the alumni stuff for the, for the capitals, just to like see some of those guys. Um, but I, I do more of the Canuck stuff just cause I'm close. Um, so I'll keep in touch with, you know, a few of those guys that I played on the Canucks with too, like Dale Weiss and 
like Manny was coaching in Vancouver and I saw him a few times. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing, I, you kind of lose touch, at least for me, like I keep in touch more with my college buddies, um, just the way things, things go. I mean, there's so much turnover in, in pro too that. Um, and for me, like I wasn't really in a, a place for too long either. So I think that plays a factor in it too. Totally. And then another question I always like asking guys that have spent time in the NHL is like, what was your favorite city to travel to? And that could be a, a multi-part question, whether it has something to do with the actual arena that you're going to be playing with or a favorite restaurant in that area or something like that. What was like one that you always look forward to going to? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I'd probably have to put Nashville number one. I just remember, <laughs> I remember being in Nashville and, and going in the morning and, you know, I'm like, obviously I wanted to play, but if I was healthy scratch and I was like, that ah, could be worse. I'll just go to Tootsie's for the day, and, <laughs> <you know? laughs> knock back a few beers and, and still be able to do my workout that night. But I mean, I'm a huge music guy. So like I have a small guitar obsession and I, I have a bunch of guitars um, that I play and, and collect. So for me, I was just, yeah, I'm like, that's not the, this isn't the worst thing and go hang at Tootsie's, listen to live music. But That'd probably be number one. I really, I like going to the big city, New York. Um, and then it was nice always going to California on that, you know, cruise through, through those three cities. Um, in terms of like atmosphere for like playing, I think probably Chicago, uh, San Jose was always crazy in terms of the noise and the team they had, like you just had to weather the first period really. Um, Cause it was crazy the atmosphere in there and how they came at you. But um, yeah, I would say for, for off ice, probably like Nashville and, and New York and then on ice, probably, yeah, like Chicago, even Nashville too, was a really cool place to play. And, uh, but yeah, like some of the San Jose and the California trip was fun. You said you're a big music guy. Do you have like a favorite, you know, genre artist band at all? Yeah, I'm all like old school classic rock. Like, I mean, my top few bands are like Led Zeppelin, Black Crows, uh, and my son's gotten me back into like all the old ACDC Metallica because he's obsessed and he loves playing drums. So we just You're like speaking mixed language right yeah. now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have too many new type of music I like, uh, unfortunately. So I tell my son, I'm like, rock and roll's dead, buddy. Like if you want to bring it back, you can. And there you so go. He's like, looks at me, he's like, oh. So I think he's taken that to heart. But uh, but yeah, man. So he's got me back into like some of the stuff I used to listen to in my twenties, like yeah, ACDC, Metallica like all these old bands. Right. Um, but yeah. Who had the best, uh, who had better locker room music, Vancouver or Washington? Uh, probably Vancouver. Yeah. We had, uh, we had a couple of the Euro guys that like all those guys usually prefer some of the, like the rock where Washington, I think like it might've been like the younger guys got a hold of it and it was all like the house and techno, which wasn't my jam. You know, I feel like but, they've always been a big house team <laughs> for some reason, but yeah, maybe it's funny. Um, but yeah, I'd say van. You guys got any uh, other questions before we wrap up here? I know we've kept you almost an hour. Yeah. What's no, uh? so like, what's uh life after hockey been like for you? What are you up to now? What's that transition been like? Yeah. We want to hear about your book and everything too. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, for me, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a wild ride, man. Like I, I had my neck injury that I retired from. I got the surgery that Eichel didn't want to get right that fusion. And, uh, so for me, it kind of just ended like that. And 
So, I mean, like a lot of guys, you struggle with like, what the hell am I going to do now? I mean, you're a hockey player for, I was 30 years old and I was kind of like, yeah, what am I going to do now? Do I go back to school? Um, you know, I, I, so I took a year off because my neck was really not feeling good and uh, had my first born um, shortly after. And then, yeah, that's kind of when life like really hit me and, you know, all the personal stuff for me, which I talk about in the book a little bit too, but like I like family disease, divorce, like you talk about this loss of identity, right. As a hockey player. And, and I, I ended up working a job in wealth management. I didn't love. And it was, it was just a tough transition. I had all these things kind of pile on top of each other. And I really had to dig myself out of this hole, like after retirement and, and go back to like what I knew with, with, you know, the mind and visualization and, and focus on, you know, and, and manifest what I really wanted to have in my life. And, so I pulled myself out of that and, um, you know, I ended up, I did an Ironman triathlon to raise money for ALS, which my, which my dad was diagnosed with. Um, so I had all these things pile up that, you know, put me in a dark place and I wasn't really doing the best, but, um, yeah. And then I, I ended up leaving the wealth management job and, uh, had a couple like business opportunities that ended up falling through locally and then COVID hit and this book had always been a side project or this thought I'm like all my buddies that I played hockey with they're like when are you gonna write the book man like you need to tell the story and um so I was like hey now is a now is the perfect time right I, I had nothing else going on I needed to find something to do and and so I did it I wrote the book and I'm actually still working I got the papers right here I'm like editing it right now um and uh but yeah it's funny like I I got about halfway through the book and when I first started it was just memoir and I wrote down like any story I could think of uh offside or not like a lot I'd say 80 90 percent of it probably won't end up in there um you know maybe I'll have to release a different version when I'm like 60 years old or something with all the takeouts maybe yeah the extended cut on <laughs> emptybetters.com it'll be great yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um but yeah I I fin I got like I said halfway through three quarters of the way through and I'm like again, I kind of had a light bulb epiphany moment. I'm like, this is what I need to teach people uh, and athletes specifically of what I learned with, with visualization and how much it helped me, you know, again, not only just to, not only to come back and overcome that injury and play hockey, but to like get a scholarship and then use it to, to make the NHL. Um, so yeah, I, I launched this, this co cognitive coaching business that I've been working with athletes for almost a year now. And it's been really good, man. I'm like smoking busy. And um, so I'm just doing that. And, and hopefully this book will be released by the fall. Um, I just got the, the first edited version back uh, about a month ago. And it's like, that's when the real work starts. So it's, it's a little overwhelming, but it's, it's like, it's a super fun passion project. And um, yeah. I mean, I don't care. It could sell a hundred copies or it could sell a hundred thousand. I mean, I, I'm not really doing it to, for no other reason other than to, you know, to tell my story and help people and, and, you know, have it in line with this new business I have. So, um, that's how that's it all kind of came about. Yeah. That's fucking awesome, dude. Like good for you. Seriously. Yeah, thanks guys. Yeah. Um, so what, if someone like wants to work with you, do they, do they find you on social media or do you have like a, a website or something? Well, in hindsight, I wish I would have built myself like a bit of a brand on social media. Right. I mean, I think it's a distraction maybe for some guys, but a lot of guys use that as leverage, right? Um, so I, I just, I got Instagram a few years ago and I have like whatever, like a few followers. And I'm like, 
I wish I would have maybe used that, but I do have that. But primarily I just send people to my website, which is just my name, erinvalpatti.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bunch of info on there on, on the program and what it, what it entails and what it looks like and you know what it does and what it fixes and all these things. So yeah, I mean, if, if people are interested in athletes, like I work with anyone that's from 13 to, to 30, really. So kind of work with a, a wide uh, array of, of athletes and, yeah, there's a lot of info there if they want to check it out and go there, AaronBalpatti.com. Very cool. Is that where uh, your book's going to be available for sale as well? Yeah, so I'm just I'm working through all that. I'll probably have it on Amazon and then through um, you know some some traditional style distributor where you kind of print and go to the smaller um, bookstores locally kind of thing. But yeah, I'll have it kind of website Amazon and then you know hard copy through this. So I'll uh, I'll be sure to to get you guys one when it comes out. Please. Yeah, yeah that would I was be awesome. Say, you, you might not know if you saw a hundred or a thousand, but you at least got three. So that's good news. Anyway, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we went to college. We can read every now and then. Yeah, right. Well, it's funny. It wasn't got... Ivy League, but uh... yeah, it was not Ivy League. But <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've I've come to the the realization after my editor sent me the 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 first version back, and she's like, "You were definitely not a natural writer." And I was like, "Yeah, I don't, didn't think I was, but." <laughs> You're too busy with science. You don't have time for words. Yeah. yeah. I, well, it's not the words. It's more like switching tenses, which I don't even think about. Right. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, she's like, it's a mess. You need to fix that. So I got a lot of work ahead of me, but uh, yeah, it's fun work. So well, we appreciate it, man. I, I know we've kept you a little while, but thanks so much for coming on. I mean, that was a really fun interview. One of the best ones we've had, I would say for sure. Definitely. Thank you for sharing your story too. That was awesome. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. I had fun and, and appreciate it. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. Awesome. Okay, sounds good, guys. Thanks. Take it easy, right. man. Thanks, man. Right. Big thanks to Volpats for hopping off with our hopping on with us. That guy is just fantastic. I mean, his story from you know being you know injured and burned that badly to overcoming it and just you know getting his mind right and you know persevering through the rest of his career. I mean, the guy was playing house hockey at age 14 and ended up in the show. So just a, a fantastic opportunity to be able to chat with him. And uh, I really enjoyed that one. I hope you guys did too. I want to read the book, honestly. Like I, same. I want to know yeah. more. I feel like it, it would be a really good story to hear like the full, the full, I don't know, 200 something page. I'm assuming. Uh, my unfact checked fact that I'm about to say uh, he's the first 14-year-old to play house and 24-year-old to play college and make the NHL. Don't need to be checked on that. He has to be. He probably is. Yeah. yeah. He probably is. Uh, by the way, let's just... Smart guy, too, if you went to Brown, right? Clearly. Just not a senior year. Um, <laughs> let's just let's just go back a second. The energy on that Yachtlander ad read, Manila, was just off the charts. I, well, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I went to get a beer and I came back and Harrison's just like losing his mind. <laughs> well, Nick just went full blown, like game show host, like okay, energy yeah. on there. So like EA sports announcer intro kind EA of thing. EA yeah. sports. Yeah. It's in the game. That was Nick for like 30 seconds. Talking yeah. about boats it, it, it's in the boats. Yeah. Just it's in the boats. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Let's throw it around the league real quick to get caught up on stuff. Uh, scary stuff we have to start with. Unfortunately, Leafs product, uh, prospect Rodion Armirov has been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, we want to wish him a very speedy recovery. I uh, saw a great video of the Leafs on ice during practice, like FaceTiming with him and stuff, and just wish him the best. Absolutely echo that. 
Um, there were some pretty significant roster moves. I uh, don't know if we touched on this last episode. Uh, the Orlando Solar Bears signed Sean Avery to a uh, contract for the ECHL. And then two days later, they released him. I feel like Max got to have something to say about this. I mean, it just... It's ridiculous. I will say I've been I've been loving the content that has come from this. Like, I think it, I have a hunch that Sean Avery is up to something completely different. And this is like somehow a piece of his like puzzle or something like that, because there's no way he thought that he was going to like actually make it back to the NHL, like by like signing with the Orlando solar bears and like working his way up or whatever. He made it two days. I don't know what he's actually trying to do or if he's just looking for attention or like he wants to get some big movie role. So he's trying to like spark a bunch of like controversy over his name in the meantime, so he can show his agent that people still give a fuck about him or something like that. I don't know. All I know is, it's funny and I I mean it I certainly I certainly don't want him playing in the NHL and I think I said last episode when we talked about that it was a big joke that he actually thought that he could do that uh, and I was right so yeah uh, I think the biggest loser here is us because as soon as he uh, got signed by the solar Bears, George LaRock and Matt Barnaby tweeted at the ECHL saying, sign us for one game, just one game. That's all we need. And how could that not happen? Did I you want see that. Avery's response video. Yeah. He called him fat. I don't That's know. That's all he, he was just like, Oh, you guys are fat. That's so. like, he called uh, like, George okay. LaRock a fat fuck. I'm sorry. But the last person you want to be calling a fat fuck is George LaRock because George prob- LaRock would beat the living yeah. wheels off of Sean Avery. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, but, for sure. And, and Sean George LaRock would beat the wheels off of that girl's boyfriend who caused that traffic <laughs> fiasco in Pittsburgh. <laughs> wow. After six green lights. Yes. Right. Uh, let's get into some rumors. Let's, uh, let's fly through these. Sure. Uh, as we get towards the trade deadline, we just want to keep you guys up to date on the rumors out there. So basically word is that if the sharks can't extend Tomas hurdle by the deadline, it's almost a guarantee that he's going to be dealt. So that's definitely one to keep your eye on caps. Pay attention. Yeah. They could never afford it, but yeah. Uh, there is talk that the Rangers have looked into Phil Kessel. Harry, are you going to start crying now or later? Uh, I think they'll start crying once they, uh, you know, see him on the back check in the playoffs. I love Phil, but, you know, he's not what he was when he was in pit. We just got to be honest here. He's still got a deadly shot, good on the power play. But I, I don't think the Rangers – I'm sorry, did you say the Rangers? I can't remember. Correct. Yeah. I don't think the Rangers need that. I, I really don't. I don't see, know why they would mess with it right now. This is a tough one for me. I don't think the Rangers need it. I agree with you. But him in general as a trade ship is a tough one for me because I agree with what you said, Harry. I, I think he's, you know, he's past his prime clearly. I don't know how much he has to offer a team that's trying to make a serious playoff push. However, for the price, excuse me, for Bless the you. price uh, that they're asking, what, a third rounder and they're going to retain 50% of the salary, that's a pretty good deal in my opinion. I just can't think of like the right fit, like what team it makes sense to like take a chance on a guy like that. Honestly, uh, I mean, depending if they want to be buyers or sellers and Nick is going to get this on the next bullet point, I think Nashville would be a good fit. They kind of need a little more firepower up front. I think he could offer some of that. 
the thing I with the range the, the thing with the Rangers is like they've got a lot of right-handed talent already and they're not taking Zabinajad off of the power play one he's that left wing right-handed Ovi's office slap shot guy they're also like a speed team and I don't see him I don't see Phil Kessel working under Gallant either I just don't see I don't think he has the defensive sense. aspect to his game to be successful under Gallant in that lineup because I don't think he would get top six minutes I think you would probably be looking at a bottom six role and oh for I, sure he would and I just don't think that that's something that Phil Kessel can process or do Get me Phil Kessel in a Preds jersey smashing a Nashville hot chicken sandwich, and we will be good to go. Yeah, that actually sounds awesome. Now, I'd watch that till the cows come home. Just <laughs> I think he'll uh, wait for the cows to come home, but uh, yeah. Yeah, moving on, uh, going right back to the Rangers again. Uh, they've also contacted the Preds about Philip Forsberg, and I'm going to say what I wrote as the bullet point under this is a collective statement from this podcast to the New York Rangers. Please please fuck off with this shit. Like stop <laughs> trying to sign every star player in the league. Like it's getting ridiculous. Oh yeah. The Rangers, you guys have contacted the predators about Philip Forsberg. Well, guess what? I have contacted your mom <laughs> multiple times over Ooh. the course of multiple weeks over the course of the last year. So, and it's going pretty well. <laughs> Clip that. Clip that. That's, <laughs> Incredible. That's a good one. Incredible. Uh, the Penguins are hoping to add a backup goalie and depth defenseman at the deadline. And there's also some rumblings of frustration within the organization about Kasperi Kapanen. Harry, do we have trouble in paradise? Oh, I think we got a lot of trouble in paradise. I mean, look, I, I love Cappy, but there's just something that's not working here. Um and I can't really tell what it is. I mean, he, he's been up with Malkin. He's been with Crosby. He's been with, you know, the third line now with Carter and uh, Rodriguez and just something's not working. And I think the shitty part for him is, you know, before the season started, I said he was going to have a monster year. And what I really envisioned was he was going to get on that power play and end up being that right-handed shot on the left circle in Ovi's office that all the teams are trying to mimic. And Rodriguez just kind of cucked him right out of it. And I mean, it is what it is. I, you know, um, he's not producing, but it's hard because his skill set is so good. You see the speed, you see the hands, he's crafty. It's just not falling for him. And, you know, at I just this think point, it's, it's one of those things where it works with other teams. It clearly just doesn't work with the Penguins. I mean, you guys drafted him. It and... reminds me a lot of Daniel Sprong when he was in Pittsburgh. Just yeah, that's not. A good not the right fit, same kind of game. If he goes to another team where they can use him, you know, properly, maybe it works. This could be another caps take your good player and he works with us, but he didn't work with you. He loves could, tormenting the caps. I know that. Except I actually don't think he would work with the caps either. So no, I completely agree. Uh Alexander Radilov and Braden Holtby would draw trade interest if the stars fall out of the playoff race. Those are two players I would take on the caps right now. Absolutely. I've always the loved Radulov's game. I think he's a beast, if, especially he's a Russian player. He would get along well in DC. We'd have and the five back. Obviously we need Holpe right now. Our goaltending could fucking shit show. So yeah, it's a, it's not good. Uh, I think that's a big, if the stars are like right on the edge as they always are, of course. And also those guys are not going to be cheap either. So, yep. 
Speaking of the Washington Capitals, their wish list includes Andrew Kopp, Callie Yarncroak, and Arturi Lekkinen. Mac, do you like any of those names or are we just going with Meh? I mean, I don't know. I kind of like Kopp. I've seen him I've seen him play well in Winnipeg. I I've liked Yarncroak like over the years, especially when like Nashville made their little run. I remember he him being a pretty exciting player. I'm not sure that I'm that excited about him right now in 2022. I mean, like all of these feel like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for an analogy here. These, the Capitals saying that these three players are on their wish list is kind of like when you're younger and you're like, your mom is going to like, let's say this is a hypothetical scenario, but let's say your mom takes you like guitar shopping or something like that she's like you want to learn how to play guitar i'm going to buy you a guitar if you're serious about this you're going to take lessons let's go you can pick out anyone you want blah blah blah. let's go you go to guitar center you're like oh my god i want that red shiny electric guitar on the top shelf over there it's like 64 strat i'll take it's a yeah and it's and it's really nice and your mom's like okay listen you can have that used acoustic one in the corner you could have that classic Fender Strat that's not full size and it's like $95.99 in the corner over there. Or we can just walk out and you can pick a different hobby. <laughs> like that is what's going on here. The cats are telling us like what what our budget is. I don't think any of our fans saw this list and was like, oh yeah. That's I think, awesome. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to put it. Like, I mean, none of these players are and you know, it's not going to be like a, a blockbuster trade if they do make a move. I, I agree right. with you. And we, that... we need to just probably like get like accept that at this point. But it's it's a hard thing to accept because it feels like we need a lot of fucking help, but yeah. we can't afford a lot of fucking help. S- save it for the State of the Union, yeah. please. I'm oh, very I can, excited. I can do that now. Bad. Next. Um <laughs> I agree with you when it comes to yarn croak. Like that was the name, honestly, out of the three that stuck out to me. Lekkanen, I was like, all right, I could see it, but I also couldn't, you know, cop sort of the same. Like I could go one of like two ways, but uh, who knows? If I had to take one of those three players on the caps right now, I think I'd take cop. Okay. Fair. We'll see. Uh, The Kings. They are one of the teams that have called Vancouver about Brock Besser. Now I've sort of heard that this is like something that Vancouver is just like testing the waters on unless they get like a, an offer that they can't refuse. They're probably going to keep him. Yeah. I mean, if I was Vancouver, I probably would. They're not totally out of the mix just yet. It's a slim chance, I think in my opinion, but if I'm being Pacific, it's anyone's got a chance. I'm holding on if I'm Vancouver. The Kings look pretty good too, though. I mean, they are like, you texted us the other day that they're like legit good. They are. It's kind of weird. And we're going to get to that right about now. But before we do, we're going to let Mac tell you about our good friends at Sharprick. Yes, of course. I just want to remind you all that this season, all of our picks are powered by Sharprank. Sharprank created the first ever cross-sport rating system ranking betters from any sport on one leaderboard that anyone can dominate, even you. SharpRank is backed by some of the biggest names in the sports gambling world, such as BetMGM, Betway, and Sports Illustrated. Download the free app for iPhone and Android today. And now let's talk gambling. Harry, what do you got? All right, let's dial it in here, fellas. If you got anything, speak up. Uh, Don't let me go on a soliloquy here, but uh, hot teams. 
The nice Carolina vocab word, soliloquy. That's a good one. I was just gonna say soliloquy is a good one. It's one of my it's one of my bangers that I throw out every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Um Carolina Hurricanes won five straight best penalty kill in the NHL right now. Um, they have allowed multiple power play goals in a game only once since the beginning of November. Fun little fact out there for you. Buddy, that uh, ain't a penalty kill. That's a power kill right there. That is a power kill. And, I mean, you guys already know this listed. Carolina's a wagon, so this is no surprise here that they're on the hot list five in a row. Um, I think I've won my last six bets on sharp break betting them, so keep an eye on me. L.A. Kings, Mac just touched on them. They have now won five in a row. They're eight, one, and one in their last ten. They're currently the only team in the top three for both shots on goal and fewest shots against this season. They have outshot their opponents in their last 20 consecutive games. Guys, I know we've blacklisted the Kings on all three of our gambling lists. And they got lit up last night, but, you know, we're just going to ignore that one for a second. Is it time that we take them off our blacklist? So the only reason they've been on my, like, do not bet shelf is because anytime I bet a game involving them, I'm usually picking against them. It's like 75% me picking the other team, 25% I pick them to puck line and they just lay a fucking egg for me. But which maybe means that the problem the whole time is that we were just doubting the Kings and they're actually good. And now we can bet on them when they're playing teams that are not as good as them. I think now they're actually good. I think in the past they were just annoying. That's probably accurate. Um, But the next hot team that I always find annoying and I bet on them. And if someone could get a live check on what their score is right now, that would be appreciated. The Montreal Canadians, they have won five straight games and the Marty St. Louis effect is happening. I Holy mean, shit. What? They're, tell me they're winning. It's four to four halfway through the second. Oh God. And, that the over. And the blue jackets are only up by one. It is four to three and there's not much time left. Only about eight minutes left. Ready? What? There was seven goals in the first period. The oh Jets scored God. four unanswered, and then the uh, the Habs scored three, and then they got one like <sighs> that's incredible. Four Wait, you're right. It was four to nothing. It was four to nothing. Winnipeg. Yeah. Wow. In the, in the first period, now it's four to four. It was so four to nothing. Winnipeg inside the first shit. ten minutes of the first period. <laughs> All right. So not to get off topic, but the Canadians. Uh, Apparently, you know, pending this game with Winnipeg, they've won five straight. And Marty St. Louis got this team rolling. Uh, two of those wins came over teams in playoff position. So, I mean, a little too late for the Habs, but the tanking for Shane Wright's not going the right direction. I don't know. Like, it. if you're going to go pain for Shane, do it. Like, just do Arizona's, it. Arizona's got you beat in that department. Yeah. But, uh, and they're going to draft everyone under the sun. So, Props to St. Louis, though, man. I mean, you know, you're taking a team in the basement and giving them some life, winning five straight. You got to respect it, and hopefully they can win six straight here. I got some money on the Habs. It shows what a coaching change can do to a struggling player. I mean, look at where Cole Caulfield was. The guy was sent down earlier this year. St. Louis comes in. Probably a guy that Caulfield was like, you know, it's probably one of his heroes, if you think about it. Oh, oh, 100% excluding this Winnipeg game because I don't have the stats live. Um, but prior to Cole Caulfield has six goals and 10 points in his last eight games. So I think it's safe to say that St. Louis is definitely uh, helping him out. And then the last hot team, the Tampa Bay Lightning, talked about him earlier. What the fuck else is new? They're always good. They're going to probably win the Stanley Cup for the third year in a row. So whatever. Um, yep. 
They're they've won four straight. <sighs> seven, seven, two, and one in their last ten. They haven't lost consecutive times in regulation yet this season. So great betting stat. Yep. Wagon. No doubt about it. Uh, let's move on to the who's not the Sabres. Uh, the sky is blue. Um, they've lost six straight. Not really much to say there. The Sabres have had to dress six goalies this season with a minimum of four starts each. That has to be some type of record, if not on the cusp of one. Um, the next team. And I'm just going to get up and walk away because this is going to be 20 fucking minutes. So get your if you're driving, you know, put two hands on the steering wheel and just take a deep breath because here we go. The Washington Capitals boys, I'll let you take it. Are you, are you driving right now? Do you see that bridge that you're going over? Take the steering wheel and just go hard right, buddy, because it is not good right now. Uh, I The amount of times that I have had to text our empty betters group chat immediately following the conclusion of a Washington Capitals hockey game this year and say the following sentence verbatim, I fucking hate this hockey team. I must have texted you guys that like a dozen times this year already. They're so frustrating to watch. My God. I I just, I don't know what to say at this point. Uh, the goaltending is a problem. We've said that for probably the last five episodes on the trot. My, uh, my just, sister texted me the other day. I was at work, but she was watching the game, the one uh, against the Leafs, and it was right before the game. And she goes, oh, cool, I'm watching. They're doing a poll about why the Caps are so bad right now. And on the poll, it was like, fans, what do you think like, is the biggest problem? And she goes, they asked if it's offense, defense, goaltending, or inconsistency. And I, I responded to her, and I said, yes. Yeah, literally, it's everything. So... I mean, they just look flat. There's not a lot of jump out there. There's not a ton of speed out there. I don't know. What Wilson said after the last one, after the last one, was pretty interesting to me. He said something along. I mean, again, this is like a textbook player just trying to like spin it in a good way and be like, "Hey, we're trying here." But I do wonder like how much truth there is to this. He was like, "Hey, like we've been in a lot of these games. We've just." found our way on the wrong side of a lot of them and that's unacceptable or something like that, which like, I kind of agree with there, there have been a handful of like the games we've lost this year that we've been right in, but like good teams find a way to win. And we are not a good hockey team. Harrison, you said that the other night, like we're just bad. We're just not good for, for a lot, for a while. It was like, okay, we're on a little like bad streak or whatever, but like, it's I think it might be safe to say that we're just bad. It's a slide at this point. Like they, that team is sliding and on the verge of spiraling. So do you think that Anthony Mantha on the horizon coming back will do anything to change this? I it'll do go ahead, Mac. I I wanna say yes. I like the the Homer in me is like, yeah, he's the hero we need. But like I I just oh I don't know if that's gonna be true. I don't know. <laughs> is that a Mickey can, Mouse like, voice? I don't know what it was. Oh. It's just some like unassuming little like guy that's looking at his hockey team and like the Cavs fan over your shoulder and then the other one's like no shut the fuck up dude it's not gonna happen i literally have i have a devil and an angel on my shoulder and they're both wearing caps jerseys and like the angels like anthony mantha's coming back soon we're gonna win the stanley cup and then the devil is over he's like blow it up 
trade trade everybody blow it up connor mcmichael's the future trade everybody else well i'll agree with one of those statements connor mcmichael is the future but except i had to seriously question whether i believe that or not when he looked like dog shit out there on that one goal the other night holy fuck what was he doing oh god let's cut to the chase here i think this is the biggest problem if if the playoffs started the day you guys are playing they'd sneak in Right, I think you'd probably play either Florida or Carolina. Either way, they get. (laughs) Either way, they don't win the game in the first round. I'm just saying, if it's Carolina, we get swept for sure. Can you let let me finish here? Who's the goalie in game one? Well, me. Zach Fucali. Yeah, literally. Let's fucking go. Zach Fucali, or else we're losing. Teo Fucali is coming in to be yeah. the goalie. Am, am I wrong in saying that? Like, I think at this point, given like the injury bugs, like conditioning, blah blah blah, Fucali might actually be their best bet. I yeah, I mean, like I, all bias aside. Well, it just sucks because he like his most recent game was that one where we played like shit in front of him and he got blown out by the Bruins. They sent him down and we haven't seen him since. And it's like, all right, well, that wasn't his fault. So. Right. Right. Because I can't remember who um, came in relief for him that game, but they got like three goals. It was Vitek. On I, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was Vitek and he got lit up as well. We just sucked that night. But I, here's what I'll say. I saw uh, Tark El-Bashir posted something recently about how like bad Samsonov has been in his last like 10 starts and um he said something like you got to think VTech will get the next like couple games to see because Laviolette's whole thing this year has been he just wants one of those guys to take the bull by the horns and just like ride it he doesn't give a shit which one of them is his goalie like he, he has no like favoritism in the matter he just wants one of them to like step up and be like I'm the guy and like play me because I'm going to win you the games. And neither of them have like been able to consistently do that this season. So I got to think it's VTech's turn. Like as of right now, I I would assume he's going to get the next like three out of four starts maybe. And like, if he can maybe do something, then who knows, maybe he'll be the guy, but it's anybody's crease right now. And that's not a good feeling on March 1st. So it, and I think the bigger problem is it should be Sammy's crease. Samsonov has been like labeled as the, you know, the successor to Holtby ever since we drafted this guy. It was just well, a question of when he was going to be ready. And like, right. he'll come out for these games like he did against Toronto the other night and just look like he's a million miles away in the first period. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's just muffin after muffin going past you. What sucks is every game he gives up like one really awful goal that you're like, how did he not stop that? And sometimes more than that, but it's like always at least one. But then he'll also like make a lot of pretty crazy saves. Right. Like shit. Like I can see the potential here. Like I know he's like, I know the caps aren't crazy for thinking that this guy was like the future, but at what point do we give up? Like, I know you and I have joked about like it's time to move on, but like, when is the actual time that the organization can decide that that experiment is over? I don't know. That's something they got to figure out, I guess, but I'll agree with you. Like literally in Toronto last night, he looked like he was like, inside the net on one. Yes. He was like in the net, like, (laughs) like scrambling around. He's like, he's, you suit up your little brother in street hockey pads and stick him in the net. And he's like flailing around. And right. That's what you get. But I rest oh, my man. case. We can move on. I think we've beaten the caps wagon up uh, a little much here, but yeah, moving on the next team on the cold list. 
Um, the Minnesota Wild, you know, they're four and six in their last 10. They've lost three straight. Um, those, those three games are to the Sens, the Leafs, and the Flames. So two pretty good teams in there, the Sens being the oddballs out. Here's a stat worth noting. The over has hit in six of their last seven games. They have surrendered at least three or more goals to the opposing team in seven straight games. They play the Calgary Flames tonight. I was too pussy to take the over because you never know what you're going to get out of Markstrom if he pulls a shutout. I thought the same thing. It's worth noting it's three to one Flames right now, almost the end of the second. Yep. Uh, Kaprizov has recorded a point in all but three games since November 26th. Figured that was worth noting. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about the Wild. I still think they're a pretty good team. They're definitely uh, tier two cup contenders, I would say. Um, I wouldn't let this little skid scare you too much. And then the next team and the last team, the Winnipeg Jets, they've dropped three of their last four games. Uh, they had a four-goal lead against the Habs today or yesterday when you're listening. So let's see how that ages. The Habs seem to come all the way back. You know, with things spiraling out of control, you know, they blew a 3-0 lead to the Avalanche last week. It would suck if they blew a 4-0 lead to the Montreal Canadiens last night. That, um, um real quick, that Avs game, um, because yeah. I did live bet that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was texting you guys during. It was like any time I refreshed the score, the Abs had scored again. They went from down 0-3 to up 6-3 to in probably the span of what felt like to me at least 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't catch that game, but I saw the text that you had sent. You know, all this being bad news in Winnipeg right now, Kyle Connor is having a monster season. He's tied with Austin Matthews for the lead league league lead in 5v5 goals with 25 on the year. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there are some rumors that maybe if things keep going in this direction, they try to move Blake Wheeler, which at the start of the season would have seemed like an unfathomable uh, proposition. Good words by me. Um, just because these guys are, you know, considered cup contenders coming into the year, but things have just not gone their way. So, um, and then Anaheim, I don't know what's up with them. They, they went two and five in February. So our little quack, quack movement that we had is not going great. They're such a weird team. I do not know what the deal is with them. They've scored a combined one goal in their last two games. So they're trying to be like annoying and trendy. So no one can get like a, like a beat on them and like follow them or bet them. It's like, just. Just act normal, guys. Come on. I just want to make money on you. That's <laughs> all I want to do. Normal. Yeah, just come on. act normal. Yeah. Win the games you're supposed to win and lose the games you're supposed to lose. We're going to be millionaires. It's going to be great. But then also win like the two games a year that I decide That's to play right. as the underdog. And, just... and when I live bet you and you're down by seven, come back, come and, back win. and win. So yeah. I win more money. What are you doing? Come back and win. I just win, win, win. Everyone wins. It's just that easy, isn't it, fellas, eh? Um, let's move on to some trends here real quick. Uh, moving on from the who's hot, who's not. Yeah. I have a quick player prop note. Cause I just saw this stat as I have the CBJ game on here. Patrick line has scored 14 goals in his last 13 games, which is apparently a Columbus blue jackets franchise record for a span of 13 games. Like in any 13 game span, no CBJ player ever granted they're a young franchise. I know, but still, they had Rick Nash on their team for a long time, and he never scored 14 goals in 13 games. So I guess we should be betting Patrick Lane points and goals props or something. I don't yeah. know if you've seen the highlight, but he literally just like at almost a standstill pace walked around a devil's defenseman and just absolutely nasty. 
What's the score of that game right now? Sorry, I've got <laughs> it you're... is uh four to three with 46 seconds left. The oh, Devils have their goalie pulled, but Columbus also just took a penalty. So we'll see. It's please be six on four for the last 45 seconds. Please interrupt me when that game's over if they will do. Also, I've... Columbus had a free shot at the open net and they missed the net. Fucking assholes, god damn it. I have Ass. a decent amount of cash on them. Um the Leafs are actually, I'm sorry, first period overs. Uh, the Leafs being involved in that. According to EVA Analytics, um, which I did a little research on first period overs, and they seem to be the most reliable source that I found, the Leafs, the Devils, the Jackets, and the Wild have hit more first period overs than any other team so far this season. The first period over is always set at one and a half. Figured that was worth noting. Uh, the Panthers are also another team that you would want to throw in there. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Let's talk about Yarrow Halak. We like to pick on some goalies who are struggling. Jordan Bennington's been, um, you know, the guy receiving the most of the hate lately. But Yarrow Halak has a .649 save percentage in his last three games. I think our boy Aaron Volpatti shattered his confidence about 11 or 10 years ago. I can't do math. <laughs> Funny um, Halak story. So uh, my girlfriend Ari is in our fantasy hockey league, co-tied, by the way, for the league lead. Would just like to put that out there. She texts me a screenshot of her uh, fantasy hockey team because uh, she's only had one game so far this week. And Halak got her minus 10 points to start the week. Oh, my gosh. Oof, that's yeah, brutal. that's rough. I did find it funny that uh, little Patty said I, w- I was going to ask if he didn't bring it up, but that was funny when he was like, yeah, I always had to give him shit for that in Washington be like, you let your first career go into me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, Halak's been struggling here in 2022. He's been pulled in back-to-back starts. He's allowed 11 goals on his last 26 shots faced, but on the flip side, the Canucks have scored at least three or more goals in eight straight games and the over has hit in six consecutive games for the Vancouver Canucks. So a uh, little trend there. And then our uh, I can't remember which one of you said it, but someone said Jack Hughes scored like 40 seconds into a game earlier. Uh, Hughes has four straight multi-point games, and he's got points in 12 of his last 13. Well, now it's going to be 13 of his last 14 games. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich. Guys, he's a point-per-game player this season. Out of nowhere. I don't think anyone would have guessed that, but – the move to St. Louis has worked real well for him. He's got five points in his last five. Just figured that was worth mentioning. And then my last two trends, um, I, sticking with the over, uh, Toronto. Their over has hit six of the last eight games. Uh, there's obviously some goaltending problems going on in Toronto. If you follow Rick Rowley, you know that. Uh, you know, they don't know what's going to happen with Jack Campbell. It's, Campbell, it's falling dude, apart. what is going on? Yeah, it's falling apart pretty quickly here. Um, I, I don't know what to make of that, but I do think it's worth mentioning that with that 10-7 win against Detroit where Mitch Marner had four goals and a natural hat trick, uh, Mitch Marner is the first Leafs player with 35 points in a 16-game span since Doug Gilmore in 1993. Always good to be in the Those same 18-game span, is that right? 18. I'm sorry. My glasses are off and it's fucking good. late, but thank you. Um, and then the Panthers, the overs hit in eight of the last nine. So if you take anything away from the last like 20 minutes, bet the overs on the Leafs, the Panthers, the Canucks, and the Wild. To sum it up, Panthers good, Caps bad, Ducks we don't know. And CBJ yeah. just won, Harry. Yeah. Let's, Let's get, fucking go. Giddy up. Giddy up, baby. Um, 
I think I'm like nine and oh with them now, by the way, just saying. I'm running on fumes. I apologize if that got boring near the end. Oh, you're good. I I tried to keep it entertaining. Um, We've been on the mics since 630 and it is just about 10 o'clock. So it's been a long one. Par for the the course. Yep. Um, All right, boys. Anything else before we wrap up here? I do want to say happy birthday to my mom. Her birthday was yesterday. So, you know, Mrs. Manella, you're the goat. Yep. Moms make this podcast go. We all know uh, how much our our moms pay attention and listen. So just wanted to say happy birthday. That's a scary thought. Nice. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, It's good to be back, fellas. I missed you guys last week. Likewise. Nice. I think next week we need to break it up so that we're not recording three and a half hours all at once. I'm literally fried. My brain is mush. (laughs) My brain is mush. All right, everybody. Appreciate the love and support as always. And without further ado. Last dismissed.